Hello, hello, everybody. It's Devan Molyneux from Freedom Main Radio. I hope you're doing well. Please, don't forget us when it comes to your daily bill paying. We'd love to be included in your contributions at freedomainradio.com slash donate. You can, of course, follow me on Twitter at Stefan Molyneux, and you can use our affiliate link, fdrurl.com slash Amazon. So we have four callers, four, count them four. Yes, this is the kind of quality volume you can expect from us here at Freedom Main Radio. The first up is a very fine young man who's asking questions about he's pursuing psychology and he has to take a bunch of social justice warrior, sorry, I mean sociology courses. And uh, how's he going to survive all of this politically correct stuff that's being stuffed down his throat? Um, this story has a bit of a twist, as you'll hear, a very enjoyable and illuminating conversation. The second is a couple, well, when they wrote to us, they were going to get married. And she's a single mom and he's, well, neither single nor mom, of course. And how can they best arrange their relationship so that it's to the best benefit of themselves and their kids? And of course, uh, I can't tell them that, but I can give them some general principles that I think are helpful based upon the data. Third caller from the fine country of Brazil, wherein I gave a speech and uh, debated a professor, Safatli, some years back. And uh, Brazil, uh, well, currently going through its worst recession in at least 80 years, possibly ever. And um, I guess they just ousted their political leader for corruption of some kind. What is going on and why? And uh, we had a good chat about Brazil and its history and its current status and its potential future. Fourth question was, hey, China has a lot of empty cities and there are a lot of migrants coming out of the Middle East who need a place to live. Why can't the two just hold hands, be friends, and China can populate its empty cities with Middle Eastern migrants? A fine question, hopefully. <laughs> a not altogether shocking, but illuminating answer. So there's our show. Thank you so much for your support. Please remember, freedomainradio.com slash donate. All right, up first today, we have Torian. He wrote in and said, I'm a college student and I'm constantly around the left. Black Lives Matter, student protesters, and college professors are very angry and are constantly shutting down speech. I believe they are projecting their dysfunction onto others. What type of childhoods did these people have? And did conservative parents fail to instill conservative values into their children? And that's from Torian. Hey, Stefan, how you doing? I'm well, brother. How you doing? I'm doing pretty good. Well, um, dare I ask what you're taking? Oh, uh, psychology. Ah. Yeah. So there's some fact-based stuff in there, right? Yeah, yeah. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. It's, but it's much worse in uh, uh, sociology, though. So. Oh, sociology. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's a complete quagmire of historical leftism in my uh, theory and experience. Uh, so, um, This question had came up um, when, uh, you know, Ben Shapiro? Do I know Ben Shapiro? Yeah, Ben Shapiro, he had came to, um, to, to my school and, um, you know, there were protesters out there, Black Lives Matter people. And then mm -hmm. I had looked up Ben Shapiro on YouTube, right? And almost everywhere he goes... There are people who, who who won't let you know other students go inside, and they're very um, they're very violent as far as like verbal abuse, and and I and I think it just really scared me because I'm like oh my god like these people are like really violent and it's like I just I just started like wonder like what type of childhoods did these people have and the administrators you know I remember someone was talking about how um, the college professors like taught them that but 
I don't know why the administrators don't really do anything about it. You you don't know why. I, I mean, I, I think I know why. I don't know for sure, obviously, but I can hazard a, uh, a fairly reasonable guess that, um, you know, what, what administrators in these kinds of situations, I think, are generally worried about how the media is going to portray any kind of conflicts that they're going to have with activists. And uh, this goes all the way back to the 60s uh, and, and probably a long way before that, too. But the 60s is the first time that I remember um, reading about the, these kinds of conflicts, you know, when the sex, drugs and rock and roll hippie generation hit the campuses and were protesting and so on. And um, there were some ugly interactions, uh, some ugly battles. And uh, Ronald Reagan, um, then governor of California, um, was content with allowing the um, uh, well people government people with weapons to go in and try and clear out or or make the space of people who were against uh, the property rights of the university inhabiting particular areas and it got uh, fairly unpleasant and um reagan got pretty angry uh, at the media uh, because he said you know that this this whole problem started when the media began saying that there are some laws that people can obey and some laws that they don't have to obey depending on how they feel that day basically right. and so he got really really upset at uh, them and and this happened you know happens fairly regularly whenever there's a protest um from the left then the generally leftist media uh, tends to portray the protesters in as sympathetic as a light as humanly possible and portrays the administrators uh as um obviously in somewhat negative ways and uh, this is changing a little bit what with people's ability to record stuff on their cell phones and all of that and and see these interactions going down a little bit more but um it is a um it's a great challenge You, you know you can stand against a lot of injustices if there is a general social consensus that it's a decent thing to do right 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 so take a take an extreme example right i mean there there were people brave obviously people who good people who helped slaves who escaped from plantations get to canada it was called the underground railroad and they were very committed obviously a lot of christians involved and and very much committed to their religious beliefs and risked enormously uh, a um, huge amount of um, sanctions uh, very very important and strict legal sanctions for what what they were doing aiding and abetting slave escaping but I think, you know, they, they had courage and they did the right thing, but that there was a whole group of them mm. who were committed to all of this. And you think of the people who hid Jews uh, during um, the days of the Second World War in Europe. Uh, they uh, were following their conscience and they had a group together who were willing to stand with them. And the great challenge, I think, with standing up against some of the leftist bullying tactics is the degree to which the social narrative as defined by the mainstream media is almost universally against you. Right. And the reason why people do that is to make appeasement seem really tempting, right? Oh, you know, let's just give them a little bit. We'll let them have their protest. Well, you know, because, you know, if I don't stand up to them, it's not that big a deal. But if I do, uh, the medias might just turn on me and, and get me fired and smear my name and who knows what, right? What might happen. Um, and so this bullying is designed to tempt you into a kind of moment-by-moment appeasement by which the left advances their agenda. And uh, there are bullies on the right too, but right now, at least in the mainstream media, it seems to be more so on the left. 
So the good news is that, well, the mainstream media is uh, is dying. It's dying off. I mean, Americans trust in the mainstream media is down to 6%. 6%. That's like congressional levels. So from that standpoint, um, you know, media revenue is down, ad revenue is down, click revenue is down. And um, they are uh, shooting themselves in the foot. Like it, it often sort of surprises me. I don't know if you've seen this kind of tendency, but um, when, like I looked up recently, there was um, some guy was on a stabbing spree in a mall and an off-duty cop shot him. Mm-hmm. And he had a pretty Anglo name. But, you know, like a lot of people, I was curious about his background. Can you find it in the mainstream media? You cannot. However, you know, it's not like you can't take the guy's name, paste it into Google, and click on images to find out what he looks like. And uh, lo and behold, he just, well, let's just put it this way. He did not look overly anglicized. And so the fact is that you have a very, boom, quick way to find out if the media is withholding information from you. And, uh, you know, we try to do our little bit here as well to bring information to people that the mainstream media often won't get close to. So the mainstream media is, by its sort of constant manipulation of information, uh, is slowly draining any trust, respect, and dollars from the American public. And it's not just happening in America, but elsewhere as well. And you can see this, and Donald Trump talks about the media uh, in, in, let's just say, somewhat negative ways in his rallies or his speeches. I mean, people cheer. Right. I mean, they cheer, you know, from within the media, because, you know, a lot of it is this sort of left-wing echo chamber. From within the media, I think they feel they're doing God's honest work and and standing up to the negatives and advancing social justice and so on. But I think it's become such a sort of insular star chamber of reflected opinion that I don't think that they, I mean, they all seem completely surprised by the rise of Donald Trump, who has... um, Use the mainstream media, but I think has gained far more traction uh, in in other areas of communication like the internet and so on. So the good news is the mainstream media is, um, well, it's uh, floating downstream to a potential waterfall. The University of Missouri, um, where there's been a lot of social justice warrior stuff, it's got a hiring freeze and a 5% cut to all recurring general revenue budgets to close a projected $32 million shortfall for the coming fiscal year. Uh, so that's nice, <laughs> you know, as far as, um, people see all this stuff erupting, uh, and they read the syllabus, syllabi, they read the course descriptions online. And I'm sure a lot of people wonder exactly why Marxist bar- basket weaving is going to, uh, how it's going to weave into their children's economic future. And, um, of course college is very expensive and people want to get their money's worth. And I think everyone knows that it's, uh, not a great economic investment to pay people the equivalent of hundreds of thousands of dollars when you look at foregone income to indoctrinate you into hating the society wherein you're going to have to earn a living, to put it. Um, well, that's a way of putting it that I think is is fair. And so I think what's happening is people are not wanting to spend that kind of money. You know, of course, also when when people um, see the student debt that people march out of university with and so on, and they're like, well, right. that's a lot of debt. I don't know how I'm going to pay it off. And I really start to start thinking about the, um, the money I'm going to make versus the money I'm going to spend. 
And there aren't that many jobs in academia and in the media to go around. And the internet doesn't seem to be, well, the internet obviously is much more inclusive, right? I mean, there's people from the left and the right and in between and libertarians and Marxists and all that. So it's, it more accurately reflects, I think, the general disparity or spread of belief systems uh, in, the, uh, in the world or certainly in the country or in the English-speaking world. So I think that uh, we may be hitting peak political correctness. You know, maybe that's, a, maybe that's a winsome dream of mine, but it certainly does seem to be the case. But um, what sort of stuff have you uh, seen or experienced on campus or in classes? Um, well, my, my school, it, it isn't that bad. A lot of, a lot of, the, a lot of what I've seen is um, on different campuses that people post on YouTube and stuff like that. Um, I hope my, I hope we don't become like that extreme, but a lot of, on my campus, a lot of um, the protesting comes from um, the Black Lives Matter movement. And um, there's a lot of, um, you know, like screaming. There's a lot of like shutting other people down when they when they bring up, um, you know, like conservative topics or, or Donald Trump, and um, and things like that. Or even if you're talking about um, like the, even like the differences between like men and women, you know, people just don't um, don't want to hear it. Well, it's not that they don't want to hear it; they don't want it to be said. Right. Not if, if I don't want to hear something, like I'm not a big fan of Chinese opera, I don't put it on. Right. If I don't want to hear something, that's perfectly fine. The problem is that they don't want other people to hear it. That's where the I think the real problems come in. Right. And and it's definitely it's definitely like a bubble that people um live in because you can go through, you know, your whole twelve years without hearing, you know, like the conservative point of view. Because I mean I I was talking to some people about how um like when I tell them, like, yeah, I kind of support Donald Trump. They're like, what? Like, that's in, like, it's, it's just mind blowing. Like, it's like, you know, you're not even a real person. You know, it's like, what? That's crazy. Like, to even think that you would support a conservative. It's, I don't know. It's, just, it's insane. And what are your thoughts on the Black Lives Matter movement? If um, you don't mind me asking. Um... I mean, when I when I read the reports about how, you know, the Black Lives Matter movement, when the police officers are afraid to arrest, you know, black, you know, teenagers who are doing crime in the neighborhoods and the black, you got a whole group of people telling police officers that what you're doing is, is bad. You guys are evil and how that's increasing, you know, the crime rates in our, na- in our neighborhoods. I mean, <clears throat> I don't know. It, it, it saddens me because it's like. It's sort of a uh, like masochistic. It's like you you think you're helping black people out, but you're you're helping criminals out because you're saying you're making excuses for criminals in a, in a, in a, in a, in a, in a indirect way. And so, um, and and I also think that it's is really used to to guilt white people um, into um, into you know shutting up into into feeling guilty. And I just think a lot of white people just bought into that, you know, it's like, I just hate that. Like, oh my God, like I'm, you know, I have to, I have to, like this, this woman on Huffington Post, she had written an article apologizing to black people. And I'm like, I don't, it's, it sickens me. It's like, 
you don't have to apologize for anything. Like, but I mean, like when you apologize, you're gonna you're you're helping them out. You're you're saying what you're doing is okay. Like you your your feelings are justified. Right. Yeah. No. I mean, um, it does not help black people out right. unless unless the black people we're talking about are criminals. In which case, having the cops hold off. Great for them, <laughs> just not not that great for everybody else who lives in the community, right? Right, 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 right. Exactly, exactly. And I think, and I think people don't even realize. Like, I mean, because I, I grew up in a, you know, sort of. I, I would, some most people will call it the hood, but it's like there, you know, there's break-ins. There's there's dudes who break in your doors, who rob you, and it's like, and a lot of the black people are victims of these other black criminals. So it's like you don't even have compassion for really your own brothers and sisters who are getting shot up by the people that you're trying to protect. You know? Right. Like, uh, it, um... No, I, 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 I understand. It is, uh, it is, you know, I mean, the frustration that I see, I'm obviously not deeply embedded in the black community, but the frustration that I have around these kinds of things is nothing I can imagine compared to the frustration that people who are more direct victims of this kind of, um, these kinds of problems mm -hmm. Is um, I mean, it must just be staggering. I mean, um, it is uh, uh, th there's a lot of danger in these neighborhoods, and uh, you know, this driving back police uh, out of fear of being the next Darren Wilson or whatever um, is, uh, I think, it's getting a lot of people killed statistically. Right. What was the evolution of your political thought? How did you end up on the Trump train? Um. <laughs> So first, so when I, when I was in uh, high school, I really didn't really care about politics. I was really into like, um, you know, like the religion and atheist uh, battle and stuff like that. So I, was, I thought you were going to say girls, <laughs> but that was just that was just me. But uh, yeah, that, yeah. that's cool too. <laughs> so so I really wasn't into really, really politics, but I was. I mean, I guess I consider myself a liberal because like liberal, it just seemed like you know you. It seems like you, you're like the good guy because all I've heard about conservatives was that they were racist. They were just evil people and then yeah liberal is like nice right you care yeah about you're a nice people. person you care about minorities you care about fairness and justice and i don't know i mean do you want to go into the plantation of the republicans you must be mad right 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 and 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 so i think it was like when um i read like some of thomas soul and i was like oh my god he is so smart <laughs> and he really and, is <laughs> yeah and i was right Thomas Sowell, and i was like oh man like yo that like this, he has like some good points, you know, about conservatism and, and stuff like that. And um, and I started to read about, you know, the black how the black family was in like 1920, 1930. And a lot of those traditions, you know, wait until you're married, two-parent household, you know, the rise in um black income, it was just amazing. I was like, oh my God, like I've I've never heard about that. Like no one ever talks about that little time snippet. Of, of black people improving and well because it's all like the dungeon of slavery to the underperformance of today is just one unbroken grim line of maybe a tiny bit but the fact that there's been significant bulges of black achievement of, of harlem renaissance of of blacks getting into the middle class and becoming professionals well that can't be talked about because that doesn't go with the narrative right because if there was success in the past then it can't just be, I don't know, this magical blanket white racism that burns everything in its path and is unstoppable and irredeemable, apparently. Like, that that doesn't fit the narrative, and so you probably never heard about it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, 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 and if they do talk about it, 
they always say the downfall of the black community it was the drug war. They don't say welfare. It was like it wasn't the welfare. It was the drug war that took the African American males out of the home. But my thing is, okay, if, if marijuana, like you know, let's say marijuana, cocaine, if that's illegal, then we shouldn't be doing it in the first place. So the real question is, why are African American males doing that in the first place? Well, Japanese Americans were also subject to the drug war, right. but didn't end yeah. up in in jail to that degree, right? Exactly, exactly. And so now, to to be fair. I mean, I mean, I, I hate the drug war, so it's not a war on drugs, a war on people. And, you know, so but I don't think it's the sole explanation. Right. 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 Yeah. Right. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And so, you know, throughout college, when I got in my, my first meet, my first uh, year here, um, I, I was really hit hard with the, with the feminism because at high school, I really didn't know what feminism was. But I was really hit hard with the feminism. I was like, oh, my God, like it really it really hurt me like emotionally because i was like yo these women like hate me and it, and it really hurt and i was like yo like i can't i i, I started like I, I just couldn't support that and it's like wait hang on what auditorium what do you mean i mean the the the, the women hate you how, how did you get that how did that i'm not i'm not disagreeing with you yeah. i'm just i want to know that okay. like how that came about in your head in your heart great 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 so okay let me think oh boy so um so you, you're walking into class, right. you're a happy guy, you're whistling, right. you're like, hey, I'm in college, right. this is going to be great. Right. And then, patriarchy. Yeah. <laughs> like the men all just falling down, uh, trying to use their ball sack to cover their hearts. Yeah, I, I, absolutely, absolutely. You know, and it was like, um, yeah, patriarchy, my first year I went to this, it was Apple service learning where we volunteer, you go out to the community, you volunteer, you help out. That whole thing was a cover story of trying to brainwash us into feminism. And I'm like, yo, hold up. Why are we talking about women being victims here? To, to you know, for men. And in our school, we have a lot of these um events where they will talk about, you know, whatever if whether if it's rape or domestic abuse, and it's always the female as the victim from a man. And it's like, okay, the the fact that you're not even talking about male victims, I smell something fishy here. It's like, what are you what are you trying to say? Well, Tori, and I, I hate to interrupt you, but um, the thought popped into my head that if you grew up in a hoodish neighborhood, you said it wasn't exactly the hood, but if you grew up in a hoodish neighborhood, is it fair for me to say that you may have witnessed an instance or two of female aggression? Oh, yeah, absolutely. 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 OK, good. I'm glad we're on the same page as far as that goes. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's a whole other topic. Yeah, that's, yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Exactly, exactly, exactly. I mean, much of a patriarchy in the hood? No, hell no. Hell no. I'm sorry. No, no. Um, so, so, you know, I learned about that and I learned, and, and, and it was becoming very, um, I don't know. It was, it was, it was becoming like, you know, left-sided, like left, like, you know, you, you teach about socialism, you teach about, you know, it was it was a lot of demonizing, I guess, like the other side, and so I think when Donald Trump, finally oh, hang on, sorry, just before, sorry to interrupt you again, just before we get to Donald Trump. So when you were in this mm-hmm. environment, mm-hmm. did you have an impulse to say, well, wait a minute, uh, I've heard of this, or you know, half of the so, victims of domestic abuse are men, and and like, did you, was yes. there an impulse in you to sort of bring some other facts to the front, or to even ask questions, and did you try that? Okay, so here's the thing. So here's the thing. Here's the thing. In class, you know, I I did, I did not. I mean, when when I was talking with people individually, I did though. Like I would tell them, like I would tell them like, how I feel about these things. But in class, um, 
to my professors, I, I did not. I did it. And I'm, listen, I'm not saying you should have. Yeah. What I'm curious about is what was the um, what, what was in the air or what was in the atmosphere that made you feel cautious about that? Okay, so I think it's, I think it's two parts. Really, it was it was really two parts. I think one was I guess like the other. I mean, I mean, I guess it's kind of it was. I think it was really like the other students and how I know that I felt that. I think sometimes I feel like man, like if I if I say this, you know, in class or whatever. It may be like like a dumb argument, and I feel like the 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 amount of heat I may get. You know what I'm saying? Did you did you see other like did you see smoking craters where other questioning students yeah. actually tried to exercise critical thinking? Yeah, 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 yeah. And they were like yeah. frog marched out of the room by pear shaped women. I mean, what happened? Yeah, no. Nah, so so um, I think. Um, okay, I think that a lot. I think a lot of the times it was very. I, honestly, it was very like uniform. Really, I don't. Because because yeah, there's there's no room for discussion. Right, 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 right. Everyone agrees, and right. you know, you know what's going to happen if you disagree. Those sinister eyeballs are going to turn on you, and right, right, and and I hate and I hate that stuff. I hate you know because I kind of I want to say it was kind of cowardly, but you know, um, I just yeah, I hate it. I, I wouldn't characterize it that way myself. There's an old saying, I don't know, discretion is the better part of valor. In other words, you got to know, you got to pick your battles. Right. You know, know when to hold them, know when to fold them. And if uh, if there's really no chance of getting anything other than a negative outcome, yeah. you know, right. uh, I, I, I don't play. <laughs> I just, I'm not going right, to play. Right. And, um, and it's a shame too because – you want to have a voice as somebody who may be skeptical of some of these arguments. I mean, you don't want to go to school to be lectured at and be afraid to speak up. That seems like a not great thing to pay for, mm -hmm. if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. um, because, you know, to engage in critical thought, to engage in debate and all that kind of stuff would seem to be kind of the point of going to school, learning how to think rather than just right. absorbing and, and repeating. Right, right. Um. And... How's it been for you um, socially with this uh, these perspectives? Absolutely. So socially, it was it was funny because I started have, I was I listened to your show when I started listening to your show was about you know um, anarcho capitalism whatever and you crazy bastard what are you trying to do <laughs> like rob yourself of all social contact <laughs> what are you thinking no, no, no. I'm sorry no, wait till after school it, no I'm kidding go ahead so I had really like this my, one of my first well I was here my first my freshman year no my sophomore year. It was this anarchy group that's still here, and I went to a couple of their meetings. But I was like, "This is not cap. Like, where's the capitalism? It wasn't even really. It was like a serious group, but they were kind of like communists. I'm like, what the hell y'all talking about? So right. I was like, so I was like, okay, yeah, they're kind of loony a little bit. And then I remember one time I had this roommate from England. Oh my god! And I was and I was listening to your show a little bit, and. And he had overheard you. He was like, oh, is that Steph Bot? I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, what you know about him, man? And he was like, uh, what do you say? But he said some like some mean things. And I was like, oh, what you mean? Like we, we started talking about uh, libertarianism. And, and he agreed 
you know, we talk about the taxation thing. He agreed, yeah, it's, it is forced. He agreed that. But he was very... I didn't feel comfortable talking. We, we talk about it a couple of times, but I really just didn't bring it up. And he will always, and I would still post things on Facebook. And he will always like um, hit me with, um, "Okay, you're a hypocrite because you're you're in college." Like it was, I don't want to say it was really. I felt it was really hurtful things that he was. Well, they're not arguments, right? <laughs> I mean, to to take an extreme example, I mean. Uh, some slave is against slavery. It's like, well, you're a hypocrite because you're still living on the plantation. It's like, right. well, sorry. I, you know, there's not a whole lot of choice in some things. If you want to advance and, you know, you can't be a psychologist without getting the education. That's the licensing requirements. And uh, if that's the game you got to play, that's the game you got to play. But it's not an argument, you know, the argument from personal hypocrisy when there's not really any choice. Right. Uh, you know, you're you're using government roads and therefore, you it's know, like, it's like, on. well, is there a choice? Do I have non-government roads to choose from? Do I have a choice about paying for them? Well, right, right. And um, um, some of the other people I talked to um, about this. They were um they weren't as like as mean as that other guy, but they um they still really didn't accept it. Like I remember I was talking to um uh, this one girl about you know because I talk I talk I like to talk about gender two and single moms and things like that. That's definitely not really understood because a lot of these because a lot of these kids they grew up with single moms too. So I understand that's that's a very uh, touchy topic for them. Um. But it's not. We don't. I I have. I feel like I haven't really uh, convinced um, anyone. Well, it's it's tough, you know, because I mean, if you start talking about the negative results of single motherhood, then you have to confront people who say, "Well, women are just the same as men, and women don't need men," and so on. You have to confront them with the harm this is doing to children. Right. And that often produces a kind of short circuit. Like nobody wants to advocate something that's harmful for children, but at the same time, they have to argue that men and women are identical, and a woman doesn't need a man, and so on. Right. 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 And, and even and even in the textbooks, I remember talking about because I'm because I'm a big I'm a big person for for non spanking. You know, I try I, I, um, I, I try to tell parents um, about the consequences of spanking and things like that. Right. And so. There's this, this class I haven't taken it yet, but African American children, basically, right? And I was, I was, and 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 you know, for every for for the white people, for the for the Asian people, for all the other races, spanking negatively affects you, right? But for every for for black people, somehow it's okay, you know. It's like, or even even if you look at um two parent households, you know, they they keep saying that single parents, you know, they do just as well. So it's like. But those aren't the facts that I'm hearing on the internet, though. But in our textbooks, it's telling us, you know, it's, I don't know, it's excusing blacks and women. Well, I mean, corporal punishment, to put as nice a phrase around it as possible, Torin, is, is, is very prevalent in the black community, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, it is. I used to I sometimes think, yeah, blacks are really great at basketball because that's how they raise their kid. Bounce hit, bounce hit, bounce hit. And uh, I just think it's uh, it's brutal. And, you know, one of the things that I was very happy about in this show was, you know, doing the Trayvon Martin, George Zimmerman. Uh, I got to millions of people, the, the message of non-spanking. And since I knew a lot of blacks were going to watch that 
uh, video, I really am very happy the degree to which that that came across. So the numbers are like 89% of black parents, 79% of white parents, 80% of Hispanic parents, and 73% of Asian parents said they have spanked their uh, children. And I think that there's good data to show that spanking black children affects them more negatively than say Asian kids. And that's to do with the warrior gene and other stuff that, that, you know, is still not that well understood genetically, but, but seems to have some sort of effect. Right. 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 I mean, the warrior gene prevalence, which, um, can be triggered by child abuse, blacks, 5.5% of the population, Caucasians, 0.1% Asians. Hang on. Are you ready? 0.000007%. So, um, it is, it is a tragic cycle. Um, was your dad around when you were growing up? Yes, he was. I knew it. I should have. I should. You know what? <laughs> I hate doing. I hate guessing because I'm like, let me guess. Your dad was around, but no. Oh man! And I was. I was thinking earlier. I'm like, I'm gonna go, and then I chickened out. I shouldn't have chickened <laughs> out. I knew it. I knew your dad was around. But go on. How do you? How do you know he was around? How do I know your dad was around? Yeah. Because you're not a social justice warrior. Uh, Single moms produce social justice warriors. Women are very frail. Women are very dependent, especially women with kids, right? I mean, they need a lot of resources. And that frailty uh, is one of the ways in which uh, kids grow up around single moms and end up viewing the world as a very dangerous place. Because for single moms, it kind of is. Mm-hmm. But as far as the aggression and the hatred and the violence... So that so assuming so if that's the case, then single moms must a lot of them must be because I was thinking about that early because I don't want to say more violent, but if you're a single mom, right, you 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 have to be even more you have to be even more aggressive because you don't got two people, so you gotta even, you gotta clamp 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 down on your child even more. Because I was I was watching this other mom, you know, she was very like, come over here, like you you know you gotta like clamp down on them even more because you don't got the dad to help you out. So I guess... Well, and there's there's a lack of respect a lot of times for people who grew up in single mother households, particularly among the boys. And so, yeah, the, the women have to become like uh, extra oh, heavy hammers yeah. uh, to try and overcome some of the lack of respect that they receive. And there's something as well um, that uh, female cops tend to shoot people more than male cops mm-hmm. because they can't physically intimidate them. And again, I'm not saying that parents should be like cops or anything like that. But uh, I'm guessing that you – okay, here, I'm going out of my guessing game. <laughs> um, but, you, you know, you respect your dad and a good relationship with your dad. Your dad's like a stable guy who's around and involved with his kids. Is that all fair to say? I think that's fair to say. Good, good. Well, okay, then that would be one of the main reasons why you're able to, you know, grow up and value peaceful parenting and be a good critical thinker and curious uh, and so on. And I think that's one of the reasons why running into some of these people who I think are pretty damaged is kind of bewildering, right? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's like like oh my god, like I don't I don't know if I'm crazy or they're crazy. Cuz it's like if 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 well, I mean I I'm, I I'm, I know I'm not crazy. But you know, when when they're protesting so hard, I'm like, okay, they can't be faking it. Like this is coming from deep within you know, their soul and stuff like that, right? So it's like they view, let's just talk about conservatives, right? You know, xenophobic, misogynistic, you know, just bad people. They view those people like you would view the Ku Klux Klan, you would view slavery. So for them, it's justified. 
and, and I was thinking earlier, I was like, what would make me so upset that a, a speaker would come in and I would yell at them? You got stuff to do. <laughs> right, 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 right. Exactly, exactly. I'm busy. <laughs> but, 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 it, it, but even if it was like the Ku Klux Klan, which I don't, which I, which I mean, I don't like, I don't give a shit. Like, I don't care. Well, what are there eight left? I mean, it's not like it's not like a big parade of Casper the Friendly Ghosts going down Main Street these days. I mean, uh, the Klan is, uh, to my knowledge, not a substantial social or political force in America, and hasn't been for I don't know how many generations. Uh, but yeah, I mean, if if people are around that I significantly disagree with, um, why would I necessarily have to go down right. and chant and scream and cover myself in blood and or fake blood or whatever it is that that these people do and you know, look, Trigley Puff, I don't know if you've seen this, can't get it out of my yeah, brain saw, yeah. <laughs> video, but, um, you know, she seems pretty committed. Uh, right, right. Uh, and, and I, you know, the more intelligent people are, and I think one of the definitions of intelligence is the ability to hold an opposing viewpoint, understand it without agreeing with it. Mm-hmm. Right. Like I, I can understand where social justice warriors are coming from. I can understand where leftists are coming from. I can understand where communists. If you take if you believe certain things at the beginning, everything kind of goes like dominoes. So if you believe that men and women are identical and make exactly the same decisions, then the the wage gap or sorry, the gender gap in wages is unjust. Right. If you if you think, well, OK, well, redhead people are exactly the same as other people, but redhead people are only paid 77 cents on the dollar, then it makes some sense to start crying out about prejudice. And so if you believe that, um, you know, all the ethnicities are the same, all the men and women are the same, everyone's this Buck Rogers blob of identicalness, then all discrepancies must be due to some sort of prejudice or whatever it is. Like with the communists, right? If, if workers are exactly the same as owners, they're just as smart, just as competent, it's just an accident of history that one of them's in the head office and one of them's on the factory floor, I can understand that you would think that this is an injustice that needs to be remedied. So I can really understand all of these positions that I significantly disagree with. I can hold them in my head. I could probably argue those positions uh, pretty well. But that doesn't mean I accept them. But I think that there are some people, a lot of people, sadly, these days on campuses, who cannot understand and appreciate an opposing argument. It becomes so emotionally threatening to them that they respond as if there's a genuine threat in the room. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, how uh, how did you get introduced to uh, DJ, DJ Trump? How did that come about oh, for you? Man, when he, um, at first, I was like, at first, it was last, it was last summer. And people were talking about, oh, Trump running, Trump running. And I was like, I didn't even take it serious. I was like, why, why is he, what is he doing? And then, and then he had said something about the, the Mexican rapist. And I was like, "Oh hell, he he his career is over. His career. <laughs> He's talking about you 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 don't do that. You just do not do that." And and then he was um and then I think it was that knockdown with Megan Kelly. She asked him, "What do you think about the war on women?" He was like, "Listen, I don't got time. We don't have time for the correctness." And I was like, "Oh my God, this man has so like." He has so much courage. Like people like him, you know, Ann Coulter, like. These people are taking the bullets to save, you know, I know you said Western civilization is, is, has already fallen, but they're trying to take the bullets of keeping the remains of Western civilization. I was like, 
Oh, I, I don't know. I've gone quite that far, but okay. it's it's definitely something we should keep an eye on. Let's put it that way. Right. right. And I was like, and I was like, yo, like, I don't know. It was crazy. I don't know. I was like, oh my God, like this, he's like a hero. It's, uh, just, I mean, just, just to put himself out there like that and just destroy, you know, these leftists, you know, these people who are lying about him. It's like, it, it just took so much courage. That's what I'm saying, that courage. And I don't think people, like, people, you know, they look at me like, oh, my God, you support this crazy guy. I, I, he has courage. Like, that that takes courage to do that. And um, I don't know. And I think, I, I think it kind of, um, you know, lately when I'm talking to people who I feel, who I feel comfortable talking with, who disagree with me, I think I'm, I'm being kind of being more candid of why, um, why I support Donald Trump and things like that, you know? And it's like, I don't have to be ashamed. You don't have to be ashamed to, to have, um, you know, some conservative values. There's nothing to be ashamed about that. There's nothing to be ashamed to say, yeah, I think you should wait till you're married. Uh, you know, I think two parents household is the best. Um, you know, I, um, I think that I, I care about my country and I don't want people who aren't smart enough, who want to live on welfare over here. There's nothing to be ashamed about that. You care about your country. And I mean, I mean, and it's, I'm it's, like it's, weird. it's weird for people to hear that. It's weird for people to hear. Let's try and figure out how we can serve Americans through through government rather than try and serve everyone else around the world at the expense of, of the Americans. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Kohler, Kohler was saying it, it was crazy. She said, um, we and the United States isn't a batters women's shelter. I was like, yo, that's true. Like, why? Like, why do we have to accept crappy people? Like why do you, why can't we accept the best of the best? Right. Yeah. I mean, Australia has a point system, wherein you know your education and your um, work history and all that go towards calculating particular points. Australia has a point system. Um, uh, I think uh, most of Europe seems to have greased jetpacks to send people from place to place, but. Um, uh, it is, uh, it is real. The reality is that America is a golden ticket to the planet. And there are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of millions of people who, if given the opportunity and a portal would move to America in a heartbeat, which would destroy the entire economy. Mm-hmm. You know, in the past, before the welfare state, people came and they either contributed economic value or they went home. And a third of people who came over from other countries in the 19th century went back home. But with the welfare state, eh, no, it does not happen, right? Natives use welfare at 30%, immigrants at 51%, and illegal immigrants at 62%. Mm-hmm. So those people coming in are breaking the back of the American economy. And that is particularly brutal. And, you know, I, I think about, and I hate to use this big giant blob, so I apologize for doing so. But when I sort of think about the poorer black community, well, the welfare state can't continue. $20 trillion in debt and Bernie Sanders gets in power Oh, man, it's going to be brutal because Bernie Sanders has been calculated that he's going to add $20 trillion over a decade to American debt. I mean, come on, people. Why, why 20? Why not 50? Why not a billion? Why not a Googleplex trillion billion quill? Why not just keep writing numbers until your arm falls off? Because at that point, right. it's just monopoly money anyway. So when the welfare state starts to run out of money, well, it'd be real nice if people had jobs. And among the poorer blacks, and this is not particularly true to the poorer blacks, but demographically and statistically, there are more of them. It's kind of important that they have jobs. And the fact that a bunch of illegal immigrants are coming in, driving down wages 
is um, brutal on the black community because what it does is it means that having uh, welfare is uh, better than getting a job, at least in the short run. Right, right. And that means once you get welfare, you get single mom families, you get hood culture, you get uh, all this mess. So it, it is a huge ripple effect or I guess a domino effect that happens. And, um, you know, I can't I can't tell you, man, I just, you know, just you and me and I guess everyone else who listens to this story, and I can't tell you, like I listen to myself like, hey, I'm talking about borders and illegal immigration. And, and it's like, hey, man, weren't you an anarchist once? It's like, well, still am, still am. But there's strategy and then there's tactics, right? Right, right. Strategy is long-term, tactics is short-term. And right now, I'm just descending a little bit from the ivory tower of strategy, a little bit more into tactics because uh, I just want to be able to keep having a conversation about this stuff. Right. And I just, I, can I just give you a little, you got some time, right? You're not, yeah. you don't have, you, you don't have any place you have to be immediately. Okay. So this is interesting because a lot of people get confused about this thing of Donald Trump said when Mexico sends their people, they're not sending the best or something like that. Right. And people don't understand that. What do you mean? Mexico sends their people. <laughs> I don't know if you know this, but, um, the Mexican government has put out a significant number of pamphlets. And can you guess what those pamphlets have something to do with? Um, I'm going to guess how to get welfare in America? How Just how to get into America. Okay. Oh, no, don't worry. Once you're in America, there'll be plenty of people who'll help you get welfare who work for the welfare department. Don't worry about that. The question is, how do you get into America? I'm not going to read the whole thing, but uh, here we go. Dear fellow citizen, this guide tries to provide you with some practical advice that may be useful to you in case you have made the difficult decision to seek new work opportunities outside of your own country. The safe way to enter another country is by first obtaining your passport, which is issued by the halala and halala and blah, 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 blah. However, <laughs> you know, however, plan B, which seems to be plan A for a lot, um, we actually see many cases of Mexicans who try to cross the northern border without the necessary documentation, crossing high-risk zones that are very dangerous, especially in desert areas or rivers with strong and not always noticeable currents. As you read this guide, you can also learn some basic questions about legal consequences of your stay in the United States of America without appropriate immigration documents, as well as the rights you have in that country once you are there, independent of your immigration status. You know what? I'm sorry. I said they didn't. They did. You're right. They told you exactly what to do when you get over there. Dangers of crossing in high-risk zones. Crossing the river can be very risky, especially if you cross alone and at night. Thick clothing weighs you down when it's wet and makes it hard to swim or float. If you cross in the desert, try to travel when the heat is not so intense. You know, I'm, I'm not happy with people coming across who need that kind of instruction. Um, highways and towns are very far apart, so it could take you several days to find roads, and you will not be able to carry food or water for that long. You could even get lost. Salted water helps you retain body fluids, although if you get more thirsty, although you get more thirsty if you drink salted water, um, the risk of dehydration is lessened. And then they give you a bunch of dehydration uh, symptoms, um, uh, if you get lost, follow utility poles, railroad tracks, or furrows. Be careful of alien smugglers. Please see pages 8 to 9. Be careful of polleros, coyotes, or pateros, various names for alien smugglers, of course. They can deceive you by assuring you they'll cross you, smuggle you across the border, at certain times over mountains or through deserts. This is not true. You can put your life in danger. Leading you, they can put your life in danger, leading you through rivers, irrigation canals, desert areas, along railroad tracks or freeways. This has caused the death of hundreds of people. And uh, anyway, um, do not use false documents 
Just, you know, go without any documents. Uh, if you are tamed, do not resist arrest. Do not throw stones or other objects at the officers, nor at the patrol cars, because that is considered a form of provocation. <laughs> really? It's good that they, uh, uh, that's good to know. Do not hide in dangerous places. Do not cross freeways. Uh, and anyway, so uh, if you are arrested, you have rights. Mm. Give your true name. If you are a minor and accompanied by an adult, tell the authorities so that they do not separate you. And anyway, I won't sort of go on. We'll put the link to this below. But, um, you know, I guess they spend a bunch of money printing up these pamphlets. Um, do you um, think that it might be vaguely possible that they could have taken some of that money and put border guards somewhere along this way? <laughs> no. So, and why is the Mexican government doing this? Well, they say, well, people are going to do it anyway, so we might as well give them safe ways to do it. But the reality is that um, what happens is Mexicans get to America, they get jobs, and they wire money back to Mexico. Right, right. Like huge amounts of money. This is one of the ways in which the actual illegal immigration st- numbers in um, uh, America are uh, calculated, is trying to figure out how much, uh, you know, Mexico Central Bank reported Mexicans overseas sent nearly $24.8 billion home in 2015, which is like close to the amount that Mexico gets from like the sale of all its oil. Uh, and I don't just mean for hair gel, although obviously that's a lot. Um, but uh, yeah, they're they giving you guides to how to cross. Um, you are, um, you know, uh, you, all the rights that you have, what you can do when you get across, uh, best ways to um, uh, not get uh, detained, uh, and just crazy stuff, right? So this is, um, and, and you know, they do say on the last page, to be fair, this consular protection guide is not promoting the crossing of the border of Mexicans without legal documentation required by the government of the United States. Its objective is to make known the risks implied and to inform about the rights of migrants regardless of their legal residence. So, I don't know. It's hard to say that a particular behavior is uh, really strongly condemned by a government which gives you pamphlets on the best ways to achieve that behavior. Uh, so, um, uh, yeah. So, when he says Mexico doesn't send their... Well, the Mexican government is giving you pamphlets on how to cross. I mean, I shouldn't laugh because it's brutal. And this is where, of course, 80% of the women get raped en route. Uh, it's just it's shocking. And I would imagine the number may even be higher. Right. But, um, and I'm sorry to have interrupted. And this is why I asked you if you, if you had time because I'm really enjoying the chat. Right. But this, you know, guide to getting into America so that you can send American taxpayers' welfare money back to Mexico. I mean, it's like, man, you've got to be kidding. That, 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 yeah, that's smart. I mean, on their part, that's smart on their part because it's, you know, they have an investment in it also. It's, I don't know. It's just crazy how when you have free stuff, I mean, you know, people are going to set up any any kind of way to, to get that free stuff. You know, this in this case, is welfare. So people will do, you know, it's, it's people who got welfare, who, who, who cheat in the system, maybe working a little bit, careful about how many hours they go over. So it's, I mean, that's what happens when you get free stuff. Um, and it, and, it, and it reminded me of, of of the perspectives that the left has and the right has. For example, in my Spanish class, they she showed a video about immigration, right? But it was um it was a video for us to feel compassionate about the people who are crossing illegally, and it it was about like a, a year and a half ago, and I was like, man, like I feel for those people, like. Cause you know, like a lot of the class, some of the people were crying in the class. Cause like, man, these people are crossing illegally. You got gangs over there. They just want to get a better life. 
Oh, it's horrible stuff. No question. Right, right, right. But then you get the conservative perspective, and they're saying, yo, that's illegal. They're coming over here. They're getting welfare. And it's like, hold on. Wait a second. So you're trying to make me feel compassion for these people. But at the same time, they're doing it illegally. And they're taking benefits from it. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah, look, I mean... Um Mexico has lived next to one of the giant engines of capitalism for, what, 150? I don't know. I'm, not, I'm no expert on it. A long time. Let's just put it that way. Many, many generations. Mexico has lived right next to one of the great experiments in limited government and free market capitalism. And what have they done with that? What, what have they done living next to and viewing it's not like they've got to learn ancient Sanskrit and burrow Indiana Jones style under some ziggurat with flying headless monkeys or something. They live right next door. You know, it's sort of like uh, if, if there's some band that's playing the most beautiful music right next door and they say to me, man, you can, you can record this music and you can just go sell it. We don't care. And I don't do it. Well, okay. <laughs> Could be considered a tad lazy. I certainly can't complain about being broke, right? Because people would pay millions for this music. Right. And all Mexico has to do is look north and say, okay, well, this is how successful economic societies work. You know, looking north and a little bit back in time, perhaps. Mm -hmm. So I have a huge amount of sympathy for the migrants. I mean, according to the footprints, Mexico sucks to the tune of like, what, a quarter of its entire population has moved to the United States or right, right back and forth. But as far as Hispanics, uh, at least the ones who are interviewed uh, about political opinions in the United States. What do they want? Well, they want more government services and they want to pay less taxes. Hmm. <laughs> hmm. Y'all can count, right? And so, you know, whether it's an IQ thing, and there are, you know, reports that Hispanic IQ is in the high 80s or low 90s or whatever, so maybe they just don't have the intellectual horsepower to vote for the long-term gains and short-term pains of getting a free market. I don't know what it is. But if they are not smart enough to have a free market in their own country, coming to America is not going to make America better. It's going to make it worse, but if there's a welfare state. And if they are smart enough to do it, but they simply haven't, well, uh, I don't know what to say, but that also doesn't seem to be a huge net positive to America. Right, right, right. When... Um, you know, I don't want to just ask you questions because you're a black guy, because, you know, that's not, you know, not how I roll. But did you, I mean, you heard the KKK thing, right? Like, I disavow, like David Duke saying, yeah, you know, I can see some positive things. Yeah, in, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Donald Trump. Yeah. Um, what was your, what were your thoughts about that? Um, my whole thing was like, it's not, it shouldn't even, this isn't an issue. Like, you can't control the pe you can't control people who you, if you if, there are some people who um, who support you know Donald Trump Bernie Sanders um, and a lot of and some of them are crazy but my thing is you have to look at the principles of what that person is saying so it's like so yeah you're gonna get some crazy people you're gonna get some good people but it's like that's not even it's not even an issue it's like I don't it's just like why are we talking about that okay a Ku Klux Klan member. Who supports Donald Trump? Donald Trump isn't isn't part of the Ku Klux Klan. Why are we talking about this? Like it's not. I mean, you're trying to taint his name, but it's just I don't know. It's ridiculous. Like, well, Hillary Clinton's mentor was Robert Byrd. Was it a longtime member of the KKK? Don't hear a lot about that, but some guy talks about Donald Trump, and suddenly it's all over the news. And uh, I don't know. 
And the racism thing, does this, because um, I don't think anyone's really talked much about anything to do with Donald Trump being racist against blacks. But of course, you know, the big Hispanic uh, question, although I'm pretty sure if you run a lot of hotels, you can't do that without Hispanics who like working for you. But uh, do you take any... Um, any credence in that stuff, or do you? Uh, no, I mean, you, don't, the only uh, thing I know he said about blacks was <laughs> he said, "Uh, black people love me." <laughs> I was like, "Man, man!" And, and, but it's true. Like he got like what fifteen plus percent, twenty five percent. I've heard of some of the black voters going to Trump, and 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 it's like that's more than like any of the uh, past presidents or these conservatives. And it's like, man, like black people really like feeling him so. It's just he's a regular. He's just a regular guy, a businessman. He don't care what color your skin is. He just he just want you to work hard, you know. Um, and I don't, I don't even I don't know. I mean, he hasn't said really think anything about black people. But I think the I think the, the the sexist thing is what's really getting people though, because um, I don't know if you saw it, but there's just there's just on Huffington Post there was a there was a list of all the sexist things Donald Trump said, and so. I mean, basically, you you can discount the things that he said, me, he, the mean things he said about women, because I mean, look, you can say that about men too. So that's off the tar- chart, whatever. And then he may have said some weird, funny jokes about you know, like his daughter. That's just humor. So I think, um, like, I remember he was talking about how um, the later rep- the lady reporter he was like, you wouldn't have gotten this job if you weren't beautiful. And I was talking to my friend about that. She was like, that is so sexist. But I was like, that's true. That's true. If you want to be a reporter on national television, you have to look good. If you're ugly, they're not going to hire you. So he was just telling the truth about that. But I think, I can't recall exactly what, but when he says, like, um, I think he said something about, oh, no, no, no. I know there was a clip where Hillary, Hillary Clinton was talking about how she he was, like, asked, uh, um, Something about trusting women. He was like, "Well, I can't answer that or something like that." I don't know, but I think I think I think people kind of get the vibe that he's like a um, like I don't think he's like the real sexist, like a real real sexist, but he is kind of like you know, like I'm the man of the house, so I make the money, and and she has her place kind of thing. I don't know. Well, I mean, I'm, he, he certainly said some negative things about Rosie O'Donnell, but recently Rosie O'Donnell said that Donald Trump couldn't become president because his mouth looks like an anus. <laughs> First of all, I don't think that's true. I haven't done a Google shop comparison, but uh, and I'm not going to. But, um, you know, where's the outrage again? It's it's the usual thing is, oh, women are being victimized. And, uh, right, right. You know, it's his uh, his kids seem to have turned out pretty well. Very well, I would say. And uh, that certainly seems to be a step up from something, some of the stuff that seems to have turned out with Rosie O'Donnell's kids. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's it's just this double standard. I mean, people make fun of Donald Trump's appearance all the time, mm-hmm. you know, uh, and, and that's just par for the course. But then the moment he makes fun of some woman's appearance, even in, in passing and in, in semi-private, oh, you know, like, I mean, I, I thought... I thought we were supposed to be about equality here. Right. Where are the feminists complaining right. that people are making fun of Donald Trump uh, looking like an orange piece of ham with a orangutan comb over? I mean, that's – you hear that kind of stuff all the time. And, right. and you know, basically just – because all that narrative does to me, man, is it just says, uh, okay, well, women are really frail and, and can't right. handle right. any right. kind of con- – but men, men can handle it. It's like, okay, well, shouldn't we have those people in charge of the military, the people who don't faint when, when a bad word floats past their Victorian earlobes? Right. 
and but and I'm, but I'm kind of happy in, in a weird way. I'm kind of happy that he's doing that because I think the more you say, well, I don't think. I think the more you, when you, the more you're being politically incorrect. I think people. I don't know. I don't know if this is true, but people may get more comfortable with it. You understand what I'm saying? Like, um, yeah, yeah. Like, like a comedian who says politically incorrect things at first, like, oh my god, I said that. But then you just get comfortable with it. He's like, okay, well, you know, you start not to caring about it. Like, and I think, and I think a lot of women. I mean, they suppose they don't like him, but it's like I'm glad he's saying. Um, I'm glad he's being. I'm glad he's treating women like he tre- he treats men because it's like. Well, and this is what he says, right? So he says. This is from his book, Surviving at the Top. He says, I'm not a crusader for feminism, and I'm not against it either. I'm just oblivious to a person's gender when it comes to hiring people right. and handing out assignments. Right. And, you know, th- that's the basic question that I've had with regards to women and minorities. It's like, do you want me to care that you're a woman? If you do, then don't ask me for equality. And if you don't, then don't complain if I treat you the way that I treat a man. Right. And, uh, you know, Hillary pays her female staff less than her male staffers. <laughs> You know, I mean, it's, 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 you couldn't set this stuff up to be funnier. Uh, but, of course, there's silence about that. And when it comes to the war on women, oh, man, don't even get me started. You can watch my interview with Roger Stone for more on that. But The Clinton's War on Women is a great book. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if you want to talk about the war on women, look at uh, how Bill Clinton has allegedly treated a huge number of women throughout the course of his political career, all the way from Arkansas up to the White House. And look at how Hillary reacted to these uh, allegations after saying that all women who complain of sexual abuse or assault should be believed. Mm -hmm. I mean, the idea that Donald Trump making a joke is somehow equivalent to what Bill Clinton did, enabled and supported by his wife. I mean, uh, it's like it's a weird universe where those things are even close to the same end of the scale. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it it really... I, you know, like I said, it, it kind of shows the hypocrisy because at first, you know, I'm buying into it, like the war on women, no feminism, these women being hurt, hurt, hurt. And it's like, yo, I, you know, I, I, if I can help y'all, then let me help. But then it's like when your own party, when your own people do it, you don't say anything like what happened in Germany or what Bill Clinton, you know, when you want to be politically um, incorrect, it's like politically correct. It's like, yo, you were lying to me. It's like, do you really care? Or you, were you just lying to me this whole time? Right. Well, I'm just curious because I haven't had the chance to, to sort of plumb this, these questions. Torian, your your dad, did he, you know, I, I assume this is part of it, uh, growing up black, but did your dad talk to you much about whites, white culture? Um, you know, obviously you live in a white-ish country, <laughs> not, yeah. not quite as white as it used to be, but a white-ish country. Um, what did your dad tell you about the country that you lived in and your opportunities and, and all that? Um, honestly, it, it wasn't even, I mean, it was a, just a small little snippet because he was really into you know, African-American culture and stuff like that. But it was really like, it wasn't what a lot of the other black kids got. It wasn't like, you know, the white man is the devil. There's an, there's kind of an, an, an inherent racism in the, stru- in the structure. You're going to have to work twice as hard. It wasn't even really... It was discussed, but it was discussed like I don't I don't know, like um it wasn't discussed like like there's boundaries 
there's white people who are going to be in your way. It was never, it was never talked to me like that um, by my dad, you know, but I did get it from a lot. Of wait, wait, people. hang on. I think we're about to pendulum over to your mom, but okay. You were going to no, no, say no, something no. else about your dad. Go on. No, no, but no. my dad didn't, but on the other hand. No, 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 no. But, but I got it. I don't know. I just got it from <laughs> You know, just YouTube, what other people were talking about. In my household, it really was like that. But it, it, but early on, I did feel like, I did feel like white people did have an upper hand. But it, I didn't. It didn't come from my dad though. But then eventually, you know, as I got older, I was like, yo, I kind of been lied to. You know, I don't. Well, hang I don't on. Know. So, so your dad didn't say the white people had the upper upper hand. Did you get that from school or from peers or from your mom or whether there's you know a, a Black Lives Matter aunt uh, hovering around the dinner table? I mean, what? Where did you get that other idea from? Like, well, there. I mean, there are some people. Like, there are some people in my family. They may talk about. They used to talk about you know like the 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 white man and stuff stuff like that. You know, you know, like aunts, like grandmas. I, I, to be honest, I don't know because I wasn't at those. <laughs> I wasn't at those dinners, and, right. and in fact, if I had been at those dinners, the conversation might have gone somewhat differently. Yeah, yeah. So uh, you know, the you know part, I can't quite, <laughs> I can't quite get there. Like I like I like I remember my um okay my aunt right she's smart smart as hell real educated making good money, but there were certain times you know I would just hear about you know you you do have a boundary. Excuse me, a barrier called, you know, the the, the white man is white supremacist and people are kind of out to get you a little bit. So I did get that from her. But. I mean, as I got older, I just I was like, OK, that's just bullshit. Because. But what um, I mean, you might be successful and on smart, smart, which is great. Um, but no, what changed you into yeah. thinking that there wasn't this giant white wall of barrier nurse or something? I don't know. I think uh, I think probably two things. One, I grew up around. I mean, I, you know, I grew up around black people, middle school, high school, whatever. And I didn't want to be around a lot of these dysfunctional people who were starting fights, you know, kicking in doors, doing dumb, sh- doing dumb stuff. And so I was like, okay, the white people are the least of my problems. Like y'all, <laughs> y'all need to get y'all stuff together. Like y'all. Not not a lot of white people coming in through your window. Right, 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 right. I mean, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, and, and I don't want to say my neighborhood was like like that, but it's like I I grew up around sections of my neighborhood that were that were like that. But my I mean, I, I had a lot of old people, old black people, you know, where I live, and so I was like, okay, white people are you know least of my problems, you know, and I think um, Thomas Sowell just I think seeing seeing a black man who had made it, Thomas Sowell, Walter Williams, people who are made it. And who were conservatives, it was like, oh my God, like these people, these black people actually made it. And they're criticizing, I don't know, they're kind of like criticizing their own people. So I was very like enlightened about it because it's like, okay, you made it, you're conservative, and and you're and you're and you're saying that you grew up in 1930s, 1940s. And you have, and and you feel like there wasn't really barriers in your way, and you and you still made it. And now it's 2016, but there's supposed to be huge barriers in black people's way, but white black people's way. I don't know if I'm making sense. Right. 
No, listen, you're making you're making perfect sense to to me, and um, it is, you know, one of the uh, it, like I feel like genuinely heartbroken about all this kind of stuff. Uh, not not what you're saying, but just a lot of this mindset. Um, I, I've spoken to some white people in my day, and uh, I'm telling you, I mean, I you know, for for the black community, we we all want you guys to do well. You know, we we all want you guys to be happy and and to succeed and and to have stable families and to not get wrapped up in the criminal justice system and to not do drugs and and like I I've never like this has been the general sentiment when this topic has come up. It's like you know we're rooting for the black community. Like come on, like let's let's find a way to make this better. Right. Um, but this idea, and and I think some of this comes out in in good ways, and some of it comes out in really bad ways, like some of this affirmative action stuff, which is I think kind of an insult. But anyway, I think that there's like I've never like oh you know it's I I mean just look at it from a from a damn taxation standpoint, right? I mean racism is really expensive <laughs> because it's bad enough if if the mass talents of black people are not available to society as a whole. But man, I mean, you have to really, really hate your money to be a racist to the point where you want to destroy the black family, put, you know, millions of black men and women in prison and 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 have, you know, millions of, of uh, illegitimate babies and, and millions of welfare. It's like, man, you've got to want to hand over $10,000 a year to hold down the black community because that's what it's costing you, I guess, just off the top of my head as a bare minimum. Uh, you've really, really got to like hate blacks and hate your money even more. And I just, you know, from a bare economic standpoint, I don't think anybody loves their racism that much that they want to pay that amount to to hold black people down. Right, 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 yeah. Yeah, because I know, because uh, I know like you, the, um, like it was like the Jim Crow was like a government program, but a lot of the private businesses and the bus drivers, they didn't really like it because they were losing uh, money from it. Oh, what do you mean? Um, like the bus, the, some of the private businesses during the Jim Crow area, area era, they wanted like those black customers, but they couldn't do it because it was it was against the law. Oh yeah, people think that uh, Rosa Parks was protesting against the bus company. No, I mean bus companies want people who can't afford cars to take the bus, and that was unfortunately a lot of blacks in the day. And it was the law that the blacks had to sit at the back of the bus. It wasn't something that the bus company wanted, and yet somehow this is a protest against. The free market, not against government. Right, right, yeah. Tragic. Um, and so my, my, I know my, the second part of my question, I was talking about conservative parents and how a lot of the kids I talk to, I constantly hear my parents are conservative. I'm not like that anymore. I'm better than them. I've, I've progressed. And it's like, mm. I'm like, what the hell do these parents do like to – to, to fail to instill those values. Okay, you know what? I think I just think I know. I think I know they did wrong. The the school system got to them before mm. for the parents did because it breaks my heart because it's like a lot of that stuff, the traditional stuff, you no know, marriage, um, um, you know, free market uh, policies, wait wait until marriage, um, two family households. A lot of that stuff is like, oh, that's 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 old school. That's old school. You sound like my dad. You sound like my grandpa. It's like, it, it breaks my heart because it's like those are important things, and it's like, what did what did their parents do to, I don't know, to not to not instill those values in them? But then, but then again, the parents were probably competing 
with the public school system. Well, yeah, I mean, obviously you went to that school system, I'm going to assume. And did you, what was sort of the messages you were getting from the teachers about this stuff? Like in middle school, in high school, just... Um, see, I, I'm completely honest. It was, it was, it was, um, my high school, my middle school, it was so dysfunctional. Like people, you know, skipping class, people interrupting class. It was, it was literally like all a blur. Man. So I like we're talking the, the stereotype, like holes in the wall, metal detectors and, uh, um, my middle school, my middle school. Lots of disruption and, and very little learning. Right. Yeah. 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 Uh, did you, I mean, was there no, I mean, I don't know. I mean, was there any chance to get you to a better school? I mean, yeah, if it's any no. consolation, my suburban, mostly suburban, I lived in a pretty bad neighborhood, but it was not a bad school, but it's mostly a blur too. It was just probably not quite as high octane a blur. Right. No, honestly, there was, but here's the thing. So. I had two traditional black schools. They, I didn't say two traditional black schools, middle school and my, and my high school. And black people really care about those schools because it's in a black community, black neighborhood. And, and they want to uphold it. There's been a couple of times when they want to shut their school down, but they wouldn't let it. You know, so. You know, my dad. Because I, I, me, I knew I knew what was what it was going to be like going to those schools. I mean, luckily, I was in like some, you know, honors class, IB classes, but still some those kids were still kind of interrupting, too. Um, I wanted to go to like the number one school, you know, the top schools, but I felt like with two, with two things, my dad, and this, you know, I, you know, this is what I guess a, a con about my dad, whatever, but he didn't want me, um, he wasn't as, as enthusiastic as I was to get out of that thing. He was like, well, everything will be all right. People will be all right. You know, I was talking to my friends. Workshop, you know, my school is just fine. You won't, you will learn, you'll get through it and things like that, you know, and, and, and it's in this tradition, you know, why would you want to go to a white school? It's, it's, it's tradition. Like, you go, you're black, you go to school, you, it's, it's part of our culture, right? The, fam- uh, the families have okay. gone to these schools. My aunt, my uncles, they all went to these schools, but these schools were good back in the day though. They're not good now. Well, because back in the day, you know, there were more stable families and more dads at home and uh, better behavior and uh, all that, right? Right. right. Yeah. Right. So it, it was opportunity for me to go, but I just and, and, and I think the application process was very, I don't want to say daunting, but it was like, ah, like I just. Um, I don't know. It, you, you need I feel like you I, I didn't have that support to 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 get me to the, another school. However. um. I did okay, so so my my junior year of high school, this is a funny thing. So my junior year of high school, I had um I transferred, I did transfer to a better school, but besides like the the behavior and everything like that, I wanted and I think this and I don't know why, but but I wanted to um I still wanted to take like top level classes. But this school didn't provide those AB, AP, IB classes that I wanted. Mm. So I transferred back my senior year into those classes. 
two of those classes my senior year at that school. And um, and not only that, but I did I did feel more comfortable at that school because I mean that's just part of the you know the culture thing. I just did feel more I feel more comfortable at that school. However, I mean looking looking back, I probably should have stayed at that school my my junior my junior year there. But I wanted to take some top level classes. And not only that, but I was the at that like in my old school, like I was kind of like the top dog because you know I'm just I was like the smartest one of the smartest people. Um, at that school, but at the other school, I was a I was a small fish in a big pond. And mm. yeah, I know. No, I, I get I get what you're coming from. Yeah. yeah. So I had transferred back my you know my my senior my um senior year. So I did have an opportunity my junior year to go to that other school, but I think. I don't know. I think that opportunity. I think I, if anything, I wanted to leave my my, um, my freshman and sophomore year because my, I think that my freshman and sophomore year, a lot of the smart kids. It's funny. I don't know how they did this busting thing, but a lot of the smart kids went to the other schools, and that's when I wanted to go with them. I was like, okay, my friends leaving these people my side because I wanted to go with them to like those. And it was a regular public schools. I want. I still want to be in a public school, and I still want to be around them. And so I was. They didn't. My, the whole busing thing, because my area, I, I had, I stayed at that school, but then I did get an opportunity to go to Cato. My, um, you know, it's like a, um, it's like a, it's like a dual enrollment. So you take like CPCC courses and other classes, but I didn't, I didn't, I, I felt more comfortable, you know, being a top dog at my at, at my old school. Right. No, I, I, I can understand that as well. I can understand that as well. And what did you, what sparked your interest in um, in psychology? Your show. Um, oh, that's nice to hear. <laughs> so, uh, so basically, you were you were talking about um, spanking and children and families and things like that, like two summers ago, and then I started to look inside my family and things like that. And um, you were talking about you know go to therapy, go to therapy, go to therapy, and so. For me, I mean, honestly, I kind of been off and on about therapy. I'm, I'm going to try to be more consistent this summer, though, like really getting digging in deep to it. But I did, I've done a lot of work myself, like in journal, in journal and things like that. And so I was like, okay, if I can, if I can help create better, um, better childhood, excuse me, better environments in the childhood, so that, so that, you know, kids can be happier and that, and and, and parents can be happier. I think that's, you know, that's. That's very important. I think that's one of the most important fights that that we that everyone needs to take on and stuff like that. And so, um, I pass out these um, non-spanking pamphlets around around my neighbor around the neighborhood. I started this summer around the neighborhood behind my the behind the, um, my business school the business school. And so I just pass those out and I try to and I try to tell people about spanking and things like that. And and. I don't know. Like, I, I, I just think there's easy, there's easy ways, <clears throat> there's easy ways to, there's easy and practical ways to, you know, create a better, like you said, create a better society, particularly for the black community, things like that. And, and one of the ways is to stop spanking. That's just one of the ways. No, I mean, I, yeah, I don't want to say thank you because, um, you know, you're gaining great benefit out of what you're doing, but I hugely appreciate that. I mean, it's, great to hear you know that um that what what i'm doing is getting out there and and motivating people to take on these kinds of perspectives and projects uh that's you know 
I, I'm going to stay strong, but thanks. <laughs> thank you very much for telling me that. It's beautiful to hear. Yeah. Now, you had a question at the beginning. <laughs> um, I don't know what type of childhoods these people have. I have, uh, I just did a podcast this last week. Uh, where do social justice warriors come from? Uh, and there's some some theories, and I don't want to sort of go into it in detail here because I've got a show coming out. Um, you know, we've got this everything old is square and everything new is cool thing. Right, you know, like right, he was, right. you, you, you were saying this about, oh, you sound like my dad or my grandparents or whatever it is. And, and you know, they're so out of touch. And, you know, now it's a hip new world and, and get hip to what's going on. And this fetish for the new is... Um, you know, Mario Rothbard, I can't remember what he called it, but it's basically like relearning old things over and over and <laughs> over again. Everything old is prejudicial and everything new is cool. And uh, what, what that means is you end up having to, well, relearn the same horrible lessons over and over and over again. And um, I just, it seems like we're heading in that direction. I don't know exactly how you fetishize everything that's new. I think what you do is you kind of blend everything together. Like, yeah, there's some old stuff that was bad. And, um, but that doesn't mean, you know, you throw the baby out with the bathwater. You try and separate the old stuff that was bad from the old stuff that was good. But there's this general idea, well, we're just going to wipe, wipe the slate clean and start all over according to a brave new world of infinitely malleable human nature. And um, it just, it always seems to kind of end in disaster. Communism is like, well, we'll just reorganize who owns the means of production and paradise. And, and it's just, man, um, it's, uh, it's just one of these lessons that in the absence of principles, you either love the old or you love the new. And uh, neither one is going to get you, I think, to a stable future. Mm. All right. Is there anything else that you wanted to mention? No, that's it. I, I really appreciate it. This is, this is, I really appreciate it. Great stuff. Well, I hope you don't have to dip your hand too much into the vat acid of social justice warrior spittle in order to get your uh, degree and, and continue on to to become a psychologist. Um, so uh, I'm, you know, uh, you know, a bunch of stuff you have to do that you don't want to do to get get some places, and they haven't made it any easier lately. But uh, I do hope that uh, you know you don't have to do too much to continue on with what you're doing and. Man, um, you are going to do some great damn good in this world, Torian, and uh, I am uh, happy to know you. Thank you so much. Thanks, man. You're welcome back anytime. All right. Up next, we have Carol and Raphael. Carol originally wrote in and said, I am a single mom, and I understand that I chose this, and I could have prevented it. My boyfriend, soon-to-be husband, showed me your videos, and I have learned a lot from it. My question is, by getting married, will that change the negative repercussions of single parenthood. That's from Carol, and both Carol and Raphael are on the line. Wait, I can't just set you guys against each other for fun? Okay, <laughs> you're both here. All right. How are you guys doing? Doing pretty well. Doing well, Stefan. All right. Um, well, great question. Um, I, I don't know if anyone knows for sure, and I know that I don't know in your particular circumstances, of course, with any degree of certainty, but um, there are probably some useful questions to ask if that helps so can you tell me a little bit about um i guess this is the first to count a little bit about your situation how you came to where you are um well let's see i met i met my son's um uh father uh, probably like 
18, 19 years old. Um, we're, we're taking a, a GED class together. Um, and probably about like three months into that relationship, I was on the verge of crashing anyway. I found that I was pregnant. Oh, sorry, on the verge of crashing? What do you mean? Um, we were arguing like over real Oh, breaking up, you mean? Yeah, 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 we were gonna... Okay, yeah. sorry, just not, not hip to the lingo, but go ahead. <laughs> sorry. Um, yeah, we were on the verge of, of, of breaking up, and then I, and I was like, all right, well, let me take a pregnancy test really fast, and voila, there I was, I was pregnant, and um, um, I, I, I looked at all my options. At, a, at one point, I was even considering um, uh, adoption, because I knew that the relationship between the father and I would not have, have worked, and I was right, but I did try to stick it out. Um, I was convinced... Um, that maybe I should try and uh, try with him for probably about a year. And then things got very out of hand, uh, very physical um, to a point that at the end he, he did put his hands on me. And uh, at that point I left the relationship and it was back and forth between after that. Um, I had full custody for a while because he was in, doing drugs um, and it slowly started progressing better where he started getting his son on the weekend and during the summer. Um, and that, that's pretty much it. I'm not sure what else, what else you need to know from me. What else you? I guess uh, if we can step back to the oopsie. Okay, the oopsie. Yeah. How, uh, how did you get pregnant? Um, I, I didn't use birth control. <laughs> ah, yes, I... I believe that the, the implied in the name, right? So why didn't why weren't you using birth control? Um, if if I I was I was thinking about this a lot since I had decided to be on the show. Uh, why did I choose to get pregnant? Um, and I think what was really happening is the relationship before him, um, and then my my entire life has been very dysfunctional. Um. I, I had like the, the, the not uh, having a, a family when I was a kid and the last relationship I was in before him was very abusive and uh, I figured uh, a baby will, will help um, keep a man uh, in a sense um, and, and will make a, a person love me as well as, you know, I would have a child to love and I'll have a family and I, I'll make it better than my family was. And I think that was the mindset on, on why I chose to get pregnant. Um, knowing that I've only had been in the relationship with that individual for probably like three months. Um, really irrational thinking, I say. <laughs> right. I mean, it's not unknown, the idea that uh, if a relationship is going bad, a child is going to solve it, right? Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. And uh, was he physical before, later on in the relationship, or did he show signs of dysfunction beforehand? Uh, he definitely showed signs beforehand, I think, with um, the way we would argue. I don't think I've ever argued with somebody to the extent that I'd argued with him. Um, and, and I think as, as, you know, especially when I was getting close to delivering the child, um, it he got very um, demanding and very, uh, his emotions were either good or bad uh, to 
both extremes, um, very verbal, very, very verbal with me um, in, in most extents. And then towards the end, it did get, you know, physical. But all the signs were there. Definitely. Right. Right. And um, how old is the child? Um, his, he's four right now, yeah. Okay. And uh, how long have you and Raphael been going out? Um, might I say about like two and a half, three years maybe? Yeah. Two and a half, three okay. years. Okay. All right. And uh, Raphael, what's your uh, history? Um, my history as far as uh, I don't have children on my own. I don't have no biological children. Um, I grew up with my father and my mother. Um, I have a younger brother. My father has uh, an older daughter. Um, she is my half sister, and um, um, as far as what pertains to to Carol and I, I met Carol. I met Carol when she when I was about seventeen. Um, she's seven years younger than I am. Um, through a, a mutual friend. Um, but we didn't, we didn't start seeing each other intimately or, or, or even physically until about, about three years ago. So when around the child was a, probably around one turning two or something like that. And, uh, how did you guys end up uh, getting together? Um, I'd say, I don't know, there was definitely a physical attraction. Um, I wasn't thinking with my higher mind, if, if you can put it that way. Um, it was definitely a physical attraction. Um, and, and so we hooked up and, and we continued to see each other physically. Um, and then we kind of became a couple about three years ago. Okay. All right. And I'm just guessing from your name, are you from a Hispanic background? My father is from Central America and my mother is from Portugal. And um, we, of course, for those who don't know, we sometimes will ask, often will ask callers into the show to, to give what's called an adverse childhood experience test, which was developed, I think, by Dr. Vincent Felitti, who's been on the show a couple of years ago, uh, talking about it. and. Um, you know, I won't go into the details, Carol, but you filled it out and you had have an adverse childhood experience score of 10 out of 10, which is a perfectly dreadful, it's perfectly dreadful score. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, uh, I assume that Raphael knows uh, all, all about this, right? Yeah. Right. Well, I don't know. Uh, you know, I don't know much about studies that have been done in terms of blended families and their positive or negative effects uh, on children. So I guess I'm just going to ask a couple of questions to um, ask um, the stability or potential stability of your um, relationship, right? Because, I mean, Carol, you come from a truly terrible and terrifying childhood, right? Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. So you know, through absolutely no fault of your own, with all the greatest and deepest sympathy that you can imagine coming from me, you don't have uh, a lot of the skills that would sort of naturally be built in. And like I said, this is someone I don't know, 
same same with me, right? So this is not any kind of uh, negative towards you, but there will be uh, some challenges in terms of a long term stable relationship uh, given your background. Is that is that fair to say? Yeah, that's that's fair to say. Yeah. And uh, Raphael, what about you and uh, and your childhood? You feel relatively well equipped to enter into a long term uh, marital relationship. I do. And how's that? Um. The upbringing I've had was was a pretty solid one as far as um, understanding the respect for my elders. Um, I, I grew up, my father working, my mom raising us. Um, the, the wisdom that I've picked up through your Peaceful Parenting Show uh, series, rather, has helped a lot in Carol's development as a mother. Um, this was before I even considered being a father figure to the to the boy. Um, I am patient. I I I understand the power of listening, and uh, I observe before I act. Um, and of course, this is all for the most part. And um, I believe I'm capable of. Of understanding the importance of, I guess, diplomacy or, or of communication between an adult and a child. And that helps me be a long term father figure. And do you want, uh, Rafael, do you want children of your own? I would like children of my own, yes. Right. And when would you like to have children? Um, in about three years. Okay. Okay. So have you guys been living together? Yes. Okay. And how long have you been living together? Um, well, we got married on Saturday. Um, We've probably been living together for about consistently about two months. There were I always came over and I slept here every once in a while and but I, I didn't really live with Carol until about two months ago. Would you say that's right? Okay. And and uh, I, does the child know that the Raphael that you're not the biological father? I believe he has that understanding. Yeah. And is the biological father? I'm sorry if I missed this earlier in the picture or not. Um, well, there, there had been a, 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 prior to the past two months, uh, he was seeing his, his biological father, uh, just about every weekend. Um, but something had, had been said on, that, that came from his mouth. Um, that was those very very dangerous words, and I had to to call uh, DCF and and um, I, I decided to take uh, full custody because of the the extent of what was said. I have nearly no correspondence with with the father. Right, and Raphael, what is it about Carol that? Um made you want to uh, have her be your wife? 
Um, I see, I see a, a desire to to become a more enlightened individual. Uh, that that's to say, I see her practicing honesty. I see her practicing um, rigorous honesty, not not just brutal honesty. More more working towards being a better person in general. She she has qualities of a wife that I, I really, uh, admire. Um, and, uh, Carol with regards to Raphael, the same question. Um, I think as a, he inspires me to, to become better. Um, all of my, my, my beliefs that I believe we're, we're gained from um, my life experiences. Um, he's he's called them to attention for for me to challenge those beliefs um, and, and practices and and um, and it, it, it's it's great. No one's actually ever done it in the way in the manner he does. Um, and. I think we have like an overall great relationship when there's an issue that happens. Um, we actually work it out and, and talk through things and communicate effectively, um, which is something I, I can't say for my past relationships. Right. You had to put it mildly, right? <laughs> yes, absolutely. Um, and, and, that, and that's been the, the big, I think the big factor in all this is that we're both willing to grow from, from our and learn from each other and learn from our mistakes, should we make any. Um, and, and that would be the, the, the primary force factor of, of, of why we're together and why we decided to get married. Because um, uh, we're able to work through things. I think that's what a marriage should be about. Right. And uh, Raphael, I assume that, uh, I'm going to assume that you are fairly comfortable uh, with uh, saying that... Uh, that Carol's child is your child, effectively. Um, I I feel that I have. Yes, the answer is yes. I feel that I've I've helped develop the child more into a stable human being than than the biological father has. Right. Right. Well, I mean, as as far as good things to do, I mean, I would assume, or I believe that the good things to do with regards to the child are the same good things that you would do with your own biological shared children or uh, if you were uh, without children what you would do and that is you know to to listen to expect uh, to listen to each other to respect each other uh to maintain high standards of behavior to resolve conflicts in a respectful and peaceable manner and you know if you can do all of that and you know hopefully if you are uh, interested in this show that's a course that you're uh, embarking on if you can achieve all of that then i think that your child uh, is very lucky to, to live in an environment with those kinds of uh, principles in play. And um, as far as having a new father figure, or, you know, let's just be honest, I mean, parenting is a verb, not a noun, or to parent is a verb, not a noun. And so, you know, Raphael, if you're doing the parenting, then you are the father. Uh, the, the, you know, the, the, 
not entirely respectful to a sperm, sperm donor is not, uh, it's not being a father. That's fathering, but that's not being a father. And so if you are the primary male role model and, and you're there and you're involved and so on, you're fortunate, you're fortunate insofar as my understanding is that studies say that after about the age of five, it's really tough for a step-parent to have any particular authority over a child. So the fact that you've been around for a couple of years makes it um, a lot easier as, as far as that goes because you're going to have the natural authority of having been there and you're not going to get the inevitable, you're not my dad stuff, you know, that that's going to come up as, as teenagers. So, yeah, I mean, if you guys are committed to peaceful parenting, committed to a respectful interaction with each other, uh, I think that... Um, your child not only will not have the negative consequences of single motherhood, but will have significantly more positive consequences than the majority of the population who aren't actually um, pursuing these things. Okay. Now, uh, is uh, who's taking care of the child? At this moment? No, I don't mean like in the call, but uh, as a whole. Mostly me. Um... I'm home about 80% of the time. Fantastic. Fantastic. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like a pretty good setup. And, and as far as, you know, children of single moms goes, uh, it sounds uh, like uh, Raphael and, and Carol, your your kid is, uh, let's just say, pretty well uh, positioned as far as that goes. Um, you know, the, the challenge, you know, with such a high adverse childhood experience score, the challenge is going to be to maintain the positivity and, and commitment to peaceful parenting as the child gets older because you know the child gets older they get their own mind and i'm not saying that they don't when they're four but it tends to escalate from there and uh it can you know tweak a little bit the um some of the old wounds um you know as the song says you can sew it up but you can still see the scar and uh that that is going to be a challenge but you know if you guys are committed to the the general principles of peaceful parenting and real-time relationships and other positive relationship interactions um i think that will be something that you'll be able to deal with positively as it comes along okay okay good all right did you have any other uh, any questions no stefan no no all right. Well, um, congratulations on your marriage. And um, um, I'm sure it's going to be great. And uh, I really, really appreciate the fact that you guys are looking into helping to avoid some of the challenges of, you know, single parenting and, and blended families and all that. And there are some significant challenges. Just being aware of them and, and knowing that they're there is like three quarters of the battle of, well, really almost all the battle of solving it. So I really um, respect you guys for looking into these issues and for asking questions. You know, I obviously can't give you any kind of authoritative answer, but it certainly sounds like you're committed to the right things. And, you know, that's uh, more than half the battle. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Thanks, guys. Pleasure chatting. Up next is Marcus. Marcus wrote in and said, Hello, Stefan. Brazil is going through a political and economic crisis that is mainly caused by the current party in power, PT, the Workers' Party. Most people are unhappy with the government, and the Workers' Party, among other parties, is being investigated on charges of corruption. Why do leftists, in the face of blatant incompetency and corruption, still support the government? And why is that? Like much in the U.S., university students my age are among the biggest supporters of Marxist ideas and governments. That's from Marcus. 
Hello, Marcus. How are you doing tonight? Hello, Stefan. I'm doing okay. What about you? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Thank you. Um, now, Mike and I are constantly circling around. We really should do something on Brazil. We really should do something on on uh, Central America, South America, and so on. And we are in the process of figuring figuring our options out as far as that goes. But of course, a lot of people don't know much about Brazil and and what's going on. Um, let me. Can I just give a few facts and then you can sort of take it from there? Sure. Go ahead. So. Uh, not been a great 2016 for Brazil so far. Would you, would you yes, agree with that? Definitely, definitely. I mean, there's this uh, pendulum on again, off again impeachment of yes. uh, President Rousseff. Um, it, I think statistically right about now. the yeah, it, it, it's, it's on again back now, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, worst recession in 80 years, uh, according to some estimates. Yes. Uh, other estimates, it's the worst recession ever. Zika virus, uh, drug gangs, homicides, and um, I guess uh, we don't know what's happening with the Summer Olympics this August, right? And um, it is a a terrible thing, and and terrible in particular because, boy, it was doing pretty well. So here's here's a fact. This is uh, something that a lot of people don't know. From 1930 to 1980. Only Japan's gross domestic product grew faster than Brazil's among major economies. Now, Japan, as you may remember, went through a little bit of a war during that time. So only Japan's GDP grew faster than Brazil's. Uh, Since the mid-1990s, about 20% of the population, about 40 million people, have come out of poverty and into the middle class. It's one of these China slash India, you always got to throw Brazil into one of these... Uh, amazing things that some free market reforms have done. And, uh, you know, Brazil's, what, the world's eighth biggest economy now. And uh, that is uh, an amazing thing. There are, uh, well, some historical leftover problems. Hey, remember how slavery was going to be so great for everyone? Turns out, well, Brazil imported more than 10 times as many slaves as the United States. And, 1888, it was the last country in the Americas to abolish slavery. And uh, they just abandoned, slaves were, freed slaves abandoned sort of their own fate. Uh, In the 1940s, half of Brazilians are literate, malnourished, and often barefoot. And life expectancy at birth, even in the 1940s, was only 43. At that time, in America, it was 70. And... um, Literacy now above 90%. Um, hunger has largely been eliminated. Expectancy of birth is now 74, up from 40 compared to 79 in the United States. So um, there has been some amazing progress uh, in Brazil going from the third world to, I guess, closer to the first world for sure. And then the leftists came in. Uh, so if, if that you think is a fairly, I'm sorry for so brief, it's a, obviously a giant country and I've only visited it once, but um, is there anything that you wanted to add to my admittedly extremely brief overview? Uh, no, it's, uh, it's pretty much correct and I know it's very simple, but you're correct about most of what you said. Uh, I would only disagree with the 40 millions who came out of poverty. Well, but I think you said that 
they came out during the 90s, right? Yes, that's uh, the information that I have, which I will completely defer to you if you have better info. Well, it's because the leftists here, they really like to show a number of 36 millions of people uh, coming out of poverty during the Lula government. And that's a very high inflated number because... Was it also just borrowing and welfare? Yes, Pretty much, pretty right. much. Let, let's let's uh, count an absurd. Uh, how, how much do a person have to uh, get paid to be considered middle class in the in the United States or Canada? I I, I don't know, but I would imagine sort of thirty, forty thousand dollars. All right. So uh, right now, the leftist government counts. Any family who receives about 200 reais uh, per head, it counts as middle class. 200, uh, what? 200 reais uh, or coin. And like, what is that in dollars? It's very, very, very low. It's, uh, I don't know what's Unless the Unless they're gold coins, exchange. I'm guessing we're not getting to be equivalency here. Yeah, it's, it's like 30, 40 maybe $50, I, I don't know, it depends on the variation, but yeah. it would be that $50 per head, being optimistic, um, counts as middle so like class eight, eight here pounds, for them. $8,000 a year kind of thing. So they've redefined middle class down Yes. in order to say there's more middle class. All right, that's a, a fair correction. Um, wanted yeah. to, <laughs> to mention as well, um, Brazil's tax code, you ever look at the American tax code and thought, you know, that's just not complicated enough. Well, if you feel that way, Brazil is the place for you to go to. Not only does it have the samba and uh, lots of fruit on the hat, but it also has a tax code which the World Bank has called the world's most complex in, well, on the planet. That's not, not going to be much fun to navigate, right? Yes. Uh, I actually study law and I'm going to have to study it. So... Uh, from what I uh, read about it, it is indeed one of the most complicated, and it has to be because Brazil uh, has a, a case of extreme and rampant corruption. It's not not only in the Workers' Party; it's in every other party. All of them are corrupt. Uh, seriously, you cannot point a party that has no cases of corruption in every sphere be it in the cities, in the state, in the federal government, all of them have uh, corruption cases. And uh, so that's why they made the tax system very complicated, so they can easily steal more. Um, well, unsafe. Yeah, you know, that. if you can make your getaway in the fog of bureaucrat bureaucratic uh, language, you're set. yeah. That, that's what um, I'm kind of trying to say because uh, seriously, Stefan, you complain sometimes I watching your videos about how Canada has a very big uh, lots of taxes and very heavy burden on the middle class but it's unbelievable the quantity of taxes we have here. Seriously, um, we have to pay for um Anything we import, of course, to pay taxes on most things that we buy. Seriously, uh, other day I bought um, 
I bought a bag, a backpack, and the the price it was eighty percent higher than it should be because of all the taxes it had. And Man. that seriously, there there's just a lot of taxes here. A lot of things are way more expensive than they should be, and. We simply, unlike Canada and unlike other Scandinavian countries, which have heavy taxes as well, we see absolutely no return. Our education is very flawed. Um, public transport safety. Seriously, I'm, I take the bus every day and I'm afraid I'm going to get mugged on the bus or maybe even killed. And um, our police force is incompetent. It, it is weak. It has no uh, impact on crime prevention and we can't even bear guns anymore because the the left one, one of the things the left first did when they came to power was to take away our guns and crime has gone up of course as in every case in the world and yeah pretty much that's it uh, Brazilians often say that Okay, if we paid our taxes and we had something that came back uh, in the form of better roads, better education, better healthcare, it would be uh, not that it would be correct because uh, tax is theft, but uh, it would be at least better than what we have now because we have to pay our taxes for the education system and we can't even go to the education system because um most people will not put their children on public education here because it is just a sentence of that this person is never going to rise up in life well it's going to be harder you know and everyone and has to go to private too, education right? yes of course of course um seriously there lots of cases of uh, students pointing guns at teachers sometimes um uh, I remember in the state where I live, in the city where I live, uh, a few years ago, a student killed a teacher. And, yeah, it's it's not good. It's not pleasant. Because uh, I, I actually lived... Right now, I lived in a kind of a good neighborhood. But uh, a couple of years ago, I was living in a... Not, not really a slum, but it was... I guess you could say it was like in the hood in the in the United States, and there was a public school right in front of my house there. And simply one day when I came back, I was traveling, and I came back. My mother told me uh, they killed they killed a man, uh, a student, in front of the public school because he was uh, having an affair with the girlfriend of a drug dealer, a local drug dealer. Yikes. And I would see drug dealers all the time there. I would often, you know, uh, try to stay away as much as possible, of course, but it wasn't always possible and it was not pleasant. But, yeah, and right now, the leftists here, they're trying to, I don't know if you know about this, but they're trying to say there's a coup going on huh i did not know that yeah oh, is one, that, is that the, how they're characterizing the corruption charges yes yes they say that uh the impeachment which 
the we have the Senate voting on it right now, and if they accept it today, tomorrow she will be out of the government for 180 days. And they say that it is a coup and that they are trying to, like, it's just a powerful elite of white people who are trying to raise all the good that the Workers' Party has done for Brazil, and they're trying to keep the poor being poor, and they're trying to keep the blacks from getting education, and they're trying to keep women submissive. They are using all the cards that the social justice warriors use in other countries. They are using all of it at once, and saying that it is a coup. And one of their main models is that there will be no coup. You know? Mm. And seriously, it's the situation here is kind of unbearable for the middle class because we have to pay a lot of taxes and the economy it is already very weakened because of the the policies of the president and the president as typical leftist the, their main plan is raise taxes to increase revenue and uh, hope for the better, I guess. Right. Now, I guess, like all countries with a history of slavery, there is, I don't know if it's too strong to call it social apartheid, but there does seem to be a split, uh, one of many, uh, in, in Brazil between those of white ancestry and those of black ancestry. Is that fair to put it, or is there other ways that that can be understood? Um. Yes, I, I think it will not be on the degree of the United States. I think that the split there is bigger than Brazil, unbelievably. Okay, but uh, but here it's the case that, for example, my mother she is white. She is like whiter than you. My father. <laughs> I, have I become like the extreme white? Like, oh my God, whiter than Steph. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm at the at the absolute edge of the rainbow as far as that goes. All right, fair enough. Go on. No, it's just it's just it's, that it's you're European and you know, and yeah, yeah. so my mother is white. My father, he was like my color, maybe a little bit black. My mother's mother, she is a mix of uh, Native American and black. My mother's father was blonde and had green eyes and was white as well. And seriously, everyone, most people here, uh, have black Indians and European uh, ancestries. And if we were going to talk about races, it would, for example, okay, my forefathers, they were uh, slaves, enslaved as well. They were probably slave owners as well. But... Uh, I don't know. It's it's not like in the United States where there was no racial mixing during the colonization, you know, during the right. slavery years. Here in Brazil, the and like in other South American countries, the race mixing was way bigger. So everyone has a little bit of black and white, and uh, I think that in Brazil, the left it tries to say what you said that there is a social apartheid that people are uh, suffer because they are black and that's it just because they're black but i think 
than in Brazil. And uh, I have my friends also think that, uh, including a black friend. Uh, in Brazil, we have more prejudice against poor people. Like your social economical class is more determinant of what you're going to be if you're going to suffer prejudice or not, than your race. Because, for example, my friend, he always had a the same education as I did. We had good private education. We, um, we go to private universities right now. He, he is black, but he, like me, he has uh, all the opportunities in life. There's not going to be someone who is going to not hire him just because he's black. Maybe there will, but these people are extremely rare. So I don't think that racial narrative applies to Brazil like it applies in the United States. And also because if you go to the slums, you'll see a lot of white people there too. It's not just black people. I I, I agree that black people are the majority of poor people, of course. Uh, but still, it's not just because they're black. It's just because they lack opportunities in education. And yeah, that's what I think about it in Brazil. Yeah, I mean, one of the problems is white flight, right? White flight? What do you mean by that? Well, so um, the European upper middle class are leaving for developed countries. Um, so the government pays great students to go travel abroad and, um, a lot of them don't come back. And, um, there's, I was reading, there's a seven year backlog at the Italian embassy of Brazilians trying to get citizenship. And, um, the white population has shrunk considerably from the, I think, low sixties or high fifties down to the low forties. And so a lot of, um, a lot of the whites have left Brazil. And, uh, you know, uh, as a result, uh, given that the whites may statistically have higher IQs than everyone else, well, there is a, um, a challenge then, right? I mean, third world countries, not that I'm saying Brazil is a third world country, but third world countries are notoriously corrupt. And um, when sort of white Europeans leave, whether it's IQ or just a history of, of trying to have some sort of integrity in government, um, a lot of the um, corruption tends to go up. Sort of, if you look at when the British left some various colonies, the corruption went up through the roof. And now Brazil is, well, I guess tied with two other white countries, Bulgaria and Greece, uh, in terms of corruption, 69th among 175 countries. That's from 2014. So um, that's, you know, that's sort of what I was, um, what I was wondering about, because the the whites in general have a below replacement, uh, significantly below replacement replacement level, and overall in in uh, Brazil it's uh, one point eight, which is I guess less than the two point one you need, and um, I think that and that process tends to accelerate, right? So as we just call them the smart people, right? Doesn't mean that they have to be whites; could be any any group, but uh, maybe slightly more concentrated among the whites. As the smart people leave Brazil, then Brazil gets worse. Um, the fact that Brazil took in 130,000 Haitian refugees in 2010, although the actual number is probably far higher, Haitians have an average IQ of 67, um, mostly illiterate and have a habit of practicing voodoo. And uh, that is a, uh, a problem. So as it, it tends to accelerate. So as more smart people leave Brazil, uh, the resulting 
government gets more corrupt. Uh, and as the government gets more corrupt, more smart people want to leave Brazil. And I think you can see where this, where this goes. I, I understand what you're trying to say, but uh, I don't want to sound all Marxist-y here. But for many decades, Brazil was mainly uh, controlled by white people. And the white people, actually, they did not do... Uh, it wasn't like, oh, Brazil... It wasn't like so South Africa, you know, how the apartheid government was actually better than what they have nowadays uh, because there were more whites there. But um, the whites here just aren't like the whites in other places, I believe. Because if they were, they wouldn't have... Uh, allowed this to happen because it it's not a problem that is like suddenly happened like in the last two decades it has been something that has always happened it has been something that uh, has always been going on and nowadays it's reaching I believe I, I want to believe it's climax it's going to end I believe in these next few decades and what, sorry what's going to end? Uh, the government as we have it, the structure, because the main problem in Brazil, it's, uh, it's the structure. Like you talk a lot about incentives, and Brazil has just a lot of incentives for you to be corrupt. You know, and uh, I don't know if you have ever heard about Jeitinho Brasileiro. Uh, it's like Brazilians' way where we try to. Uh, get advantages at everything we can. Uh, I did not know that. Yeah, there, there's a culture, the culture, the malandro culture, the culture of the smart guy, uh, street smart, if you know what I mean. And a hustler. Yeah, kind of that. Yeah, yeah. Something who, like, he will do something that will uh, be bad for other people, but he'll be okay. He will get some profit out of it. It right. doesn't matter to other people. It has always had this culture, be it with white majority, be it with black majority. And white people, uh, I, I really understand what you said, but I don't think it applies to Brazil because okay. of the, what I said. Right. So... Um no, and I, I certainly appreciate that, and I never want you to, I never want anyone to bow their experience to to my um, my readings. So no, I, I may be wrong, but uh, that's what certainly I certainly Brazil from seeing here. Fifty thousand murders a year, Brazil, uh, pretty close to having the highest murder rate in the world, twenty five point two per hundred thousand. Um, so that's. Uh, that's a bit of a challenge. Now, the result, you know, and please don't, I mean, I don't want to sort of say wherever there are whites, there are the free market because, you know, whites have uh, seemed to have bitten deep of the socialist apple of Satan pretty well <laughs> compared to uh, everything else. So it's not, not the case uh, as much as that. But why do leftists still support the government? Um, it's their religion. It, it is their religion. And the government is their god. Uh, he is uh, the government is the god that is going to provide them with power and resources and money and control over others. And if you look at what God does in the Old Testament, well, it's a lot of not so nice stuff, but it hasn't interfered with people worshiping him. And so 
if you don't have principles, you have allegiance. And whatever you have allegiance to, you generally cannot question. And this occurs across a wide variety of um, uh, perspectives along the political spectrum. But um, they, they can no more give up the government than the religious person can give up their God. It doesn't mean that none of them will. But um, because it's a secular religion, uh, it is uh, tougher to uproot in some ways than a supernatural religion. Um, yeah, I, I understand that. That's um, like all Marxists are like that. And I'm certainly a very anti-Marxist person. But what, I, what gets me crazy about it is because I have some friends. Because before I went to this private university, I was studying at a public university. I was majoring in international relations until I quit and started studying law. And international relations, you have to study a lot of political science and economics and uh, among other stuff. And of course, we were heavily exposed by uh, Marxist theory, critical theory. And me, I have always been an anti-Marxist since I was seriously very young. And But my friends, I, I slowly watched as a few of my friends, uh, including one who I knew even before the university, they slowly started picking up this Marxist uh, train of thought, you know? And nowadays they are uh, extremely, extremely, not, not 100%, not like the radicals who are uh, occupying public buildings and blocking roads right now uh, because that's happening. It happened yesterday. and But they are not extreme like that. But they believe everything the government says. They believe everything in Marxist theory. No matter how many times I try to show them evidence that it hasn't worked, that it no, will but, not uh, work. No, but it's because they want to get laid. Uh just because of that? Well, it's got a lot to do with it. Um, I know when there's, I know when there's, I know when there's a large government. There's a lot of women dependent on the state. A lot of single moms. A lot of women depending on the state. Now, the dependence on the state might be old age pensions. It might be government jobs. It might be being teachers. It might be being single mothers. Wherever there's a big government, look for the women who are dependent on the state. It's not the only factor, but it's kind of an often overlooked one. Look for the women who are dependent on the state. And then what happens is, look at how the women are going to reject the free market people for interfering with the women getting resources from the state. So, but usually the leftist guys, they are kind of weaklings. They are like unmanly men. And they, well, they are selected, rejected. Right? Yeah. Yeah. They are selected. And so, and so they can't afford to offend women because they're not attractive enough to women to offend them. And so they try to appease women by being pro or for the system that gives the women the resources they've come to depend on from the state uh, in the hopes of, uh, well, the aforementioned getting laid. <laughs> well, it kind of makes sense. But seriously, I cannot uh, believe how someone can compromise their moral identity to something as um, common as that? Well, 
evolution doesn't care much for moral identity, does it? I mean, it just wants to get the sperm to the egg. Yeah, makes sense. Makes sense. I mean, well, I, I appreciate your integrity, and, and it's great that you have it, uh, and I, I respect and admire it, but I would not confuse that with biological demands. Yeah. And I'm I, just trying to get you to save some time. You know, there's no ideology that can get between the sperm and the egg because any ideology that got between the sperm and the egg died out pretty quickly genetically. So uh, I just I'm trying to give you a perspective that I think has value and that hopefully will help save some time uh, from you trying to convince people that they shouldn't get laid, which uh, is is a very, very difficult thing to do. I I kind of have given up on trying to convince people only a friend that I talk to about sometimes and I believe I I I am having some progress about trying to influence him about the free market but he has some doubts still like like I do I'm not a anarcho capitalist yet I think but your channel has taught me a lot and I read a lot too and I'm I, I used to be kind of a statist like them like, but a statist on the right. I don't know if you know what I mean. Like a collectivist, but not a Marxist collectivist. You know? Yeah. And yeah. Uh, yeah, when I started to watch your channel and read about the school, I found out that some things that I thought were wrong, like uh, for example, the redistribution of income. I used to be having favor of that. I thought it would be like a stepping stone for people to uh, rise up, but evidence has shown that it only makes them go down lower. Right. And, uh, also, I, wa I wanted to ask, if there is no way that we can convince them in abandoning their thoughts and making them listen to reason and evidence, how can... What what do we do with them? Because they're going to try to steer the government to catastrophe, like they're doing everywhere, absolutely everywhere, in Europe, in the United States, here. And seriously, I think we're, we're going to reach a point that we have, we have to war to erase all these arch-affected people because they're messing up with our future. They're messing up with your children, your children's future, my children's future. They're messing up with uh, the last guy that talks, I forgot his name, uh, because they want black people to uh, do not progress higher up in life because it fits their narrative. What we do with them if they have the power to do that? And they currently have, unfortunately. Yeah, I mean, I don't know any particular answer. Um, if you can make as public a set of arguments as possible, then your likelihood of influencing people whose minds can be changed goes up considerably. And so this is why I don't sort of go door to door, but instead work in a public sphere, is that um, I can um, reach people who can be reached much more effectively and efficiently in the public sphere than cornering people at karaoke and uh, demanding they convert <laughs> to some sort of rational way of thinking, which is not, I guess, really a conversion, but an illumination. And so, yeah, you work publicly, and either you're going to have a positive influence. I mean, there's three possibilities. One, 
you change people's minds and avert disaster. Yay. Wouldn't that be nice? Number two, you don't change uh, change people's minds. Disaster happens and you gain credibility because you predicted it and people turn to you for a solution, right? Or number three, you try to change people's minds, their minds don't change, disaster happens and nobody turns to you for credibility and they just start doing the same thing again. Those are really, I think, the only three possibilities. I certainly can't predict which one of them is going to come true. Uh, if I could predict the future with that certainty, um, uh, it, I would be a being beyond time, space, and dimension. And so uh, you work, I think my argument is work as publicly as possible and try to get your arguments to as many people as possible. You know, if, if you've got uh, a valuable plant that needs very specific soil and you can't go out and find each particular patch of soil, you've just got to drop a lot of seeds. I think that's how that works. And so that would be my suggestion. Work as publicly as possible. If people change, great. If they don't change, at least you have the best chance of having credibility after disaster strikes. I understand. I understand. So there's really not much we can do other than trying to convince them and hope for the best. Well, that's uh, we, we have the internet. So we have the most capacity of any truth tellers in history to speak to the world yes so that is something i think that should give us great encouragement uh, rather mm -hmm. than oh well i guess all we can do is have a free medium by which we can speak to the entire planet well that's not bad overall yeah it's not bad but still for example uh, um your show it has probably converted a lot of people uh quotations on that converted but Uh, do you think that, for example, it's going to be enough to make Europe steer away from disaster? To make, uh, if I converted as many people as you did in Brazil here, do you think it will be enough to, um, how can I say it? I know, avert disaster. Yeah. I don't know, but I know, I know that if no good people do anything, disaster will happen for sure. You know, every firefighter who goes to a blaze that's a big blaze, they don't know if they're going to be able to put the fire out and save everyone, but they know if no one goes, the fire burns everyone, right? You you go and you act the best that you can with the um, passion and commitment of a good person, and what happens after that is outside of your control. You You aim your water you aim your hose and your water at the base of the fire and um you do your very best and um, more than that you cannot do so um i know that if no good person does anything uh, disaster becomes inevitable and we don't want that all right i understand um all right i'm gonna move on to the last caller i'm sorry to interrupt i move on to the last caller thank you very much for calling keep thank us you. posted about what your thoughts are it was very very uh pleasurable to chat with you pleasure with mine Take care. Okay, up next we have Nick. Nick wrote in and said, I have a question about the refugee crisis in the Middle East. I'm wondering why China is not involved in accommodating or supporting any refugees, even though they have many large, empty cities. That's from Nick. Uh, hey, Nick, how you doing? I'm doing good. How are you? I'm doing well, thanks. Um, is that a serious question or a rhetorical question? Um... I mean, I kind of already know the answer. I just wanted to see what um, you would say. Why don't you, why don't you take a swing at the answer? Uh, I'll give you three reasons. 
uh, one, they're communist. Number two, why should they? Number three, they're communist. So that's that's all I got. <laughs> all right. Um, do you want to break those out a little bit? Um. Okay. Um. From how I understand it, they um they're communists. They don't want any of the Muslims coming into the country when they're already trying to crack down on uh, their own Muslims out in the western part of China. Um, and, of course, communism is supposed to be atheist and, you know, not supposed to believe in the God and, you know, good communists don't have souls and all this other stuff. That's um, what the first thing. And then the second thing is why should they? Why should they take and burden all of these uh, refugees when uh, the West is willing and is uh, kind of being forced to by themselves um, and is undermining themselves when um, when uh, they shouldn't have to, basically. That's, uh, that's what I got. Right. Yeah, I mean, this is one of the benefits of not having a foreign policy that involves a significant amount of meddling in the Middle East. Right. I mean, they don't um, they don't feel that they own the displaced people or some self-displaced but displaced people from the countries uh, in the Middle East because they weren't largely responsible for helping, helping to smash them up. Right, right. So, I mean, when Donald Trump says that they're going to resist the siren song of globalism, he's saying that uh, they're going to have a sensible foreign policy designed to advance America's interests and not get entangled in psychotic foreign wars that uh, displace and destroy entire regions and may lay waste to European civilization as a whole. Right. And so um, I'm not saying that China is, you know, extraordinarily peaceful and, and stay at homey, but there are sort of areas of interference uh, such as Tibet and so on. They, um, they're not going to, not going to the Middle East much. Right. And so, um, they don't, and, and funny, I don't, I don't, I don't know if anyone's asked, I but, have. uh, I, I can't imagine that, uh, that they would be anything other than look at you funny. Like what? No. <laughs> right. And, um, I talked to my parents about it and, and my dad kind of just, you know, just sat, sat there for a second and goes, wow, that's, it's a great idea. You know, of course they'll never do it because they don't have to. And um, when I talked to people, uh, the West uh, doesn't have to either. Right. The West doesn't have to either. But um, but we're kind of but also guilty. Yeah, go ahead. Into it. We're kind of being guilted into it in a way because oh, we started the war and you know we have such a higher standard of living and all this all this stuff. But if you think about it, uh, we didn't really start it. It was their own uprising. How I uh, look at it, it was their own doing. And if you can't handle it, then I don't know. Just I mean, I, I don't. Well, whoever's doing it was, it wasn't the average person in right. the West. It wasn't their doing. You know, right. like, oh, colonialism. It's like, yeah, colonialism sucked for the average Westerner. And uh, so the other thing, of course, uh, with regards to China, is I, I'm pretty sure, I, mean, I don't think they've signed the Schengen Agreement. I'm pretty sure that they don't have a um, a giant set of, refugee benefits and migrant benefits and welfare and free health care and dentistry and whatever else is being showered uh, on people. Some, you know, some to the tune of like $5,000 a month uh, can be showered on um, these um, Middle Eastern migrants. And um, it's a kindness in many ways. I mean, because if you were to drop the average Arabic-speaking Muslim into China uh, without a welfare state, what would happen? 
oh, they would be totally at a loss. They would just panic and they wouldn't do anything because they didn't, they can't speak the language. They can't, they're not even adjusted to the food, the climate, nothing. It's just, it'd be like plopping someone on the middle of Mars. They just couldn't cope with it. Yeah. And that's not a migrant issue. I mean, if you were to drop me with no money in the middle of China, I'd have a pretty tough time uh, making a go of it as well. Exactly. Uh, so uh, it's just a sort of basic reality. So given that China doesn't have this uh, giant welfare state, then um, it would be um, cruel to to bring a lot of migrants there because, you know, what would happen? Well, the men would probably end up as as uh, uh, criminals or, or sell, sold themselves into bondage and the women would probably have to sell themselves into some sort of sexual access pseudo free market or so it'd be it would be brutal and horrible right it would and um i don't know if they're you know that the argument is that to resettle people in the middle east is you know 13 times cheaper than resettling in the mid-america and uh, i don't know if they contribute any anything to that effort but i think they simply view this as um not their problem not their solution and um they're not going to restructure their entire society to give welfare to over a billion people so that some migrants can uh, get food and lodging. So, um, and I think that's why, and they don't, they don't feel any particular guilt. Uh, they don't have the same pathological altruism that seems to be so paralyzing Western society at the moment. And, um, you know, maybe they're just, uh, IQ is too high <laughs> to, 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 to put this on. I don't know. Maybe, maybe that's the case. They're just, uh, they just don't see it. They just don't see it as a problem for themselves. Let, let somebody else take care of it. Yeah. I mean, it's the same question with, with Russia. It's not taking a lot as well. Of course, Russia have had their own problems with, uh, Muslims and, um, they just, uh, they're not, nobody's asking that strongly. The, European Union is, is sort of recently threatening to charge member states 250,000 euros for each migrant they turn away. Um, that is a shocking amount of money. Yeah. And um, this is how desperate uh, the situation has uh, has become. Right. And uh, and this is this is how totalitarian, in my view, this is a very totalitarian. You've got to take these people uh, or, you know, we're going to charge you for this amount of money it seems extremely totalitarian to me and that's where some of the euro stuff uh, gets to you know when when people have a moral absolute and they're blocked by reality um it's not uncommon for them to escalate very quickly right right well i appreciate you bringing up the question um if anybody has you know people that are listening to this uh through their vpns in china uh, <laughs> wants to call in and let us know more about this uh you can look at uh, the um the way in which the japanese people view islam is quite interesting and you can do a search for that and and look up all of that uh, stuff as well uh, and uh, i really appreciate you uh, calling in uh, i appreciate everyone for calling in to make this uh, a wonderful conversation with the world as a whole for all time we're good it's a great snapshot of just what people are thinking at this moment in time. And I appreciate being a part of it for everyone. Freedomainradio.com slash donate to help out the show, uh, to send us some scratch, some shekels, some bagels. <laughs> and uh, you can also follow me on Twitter at Stefan Molyneux, FDRURL.com slash Amazon. Use the affiliate link if you can. Uh, I would appreciate it. And FDRpodcast.com. If you're watching this on YouTube, like, subscribe, and share. Welcome aboard the Reason Train. Thank you everyone so much for chatting tonight. We'll talk again soon.